Hello, I'm George Reese, editor of DVD Drive-In, and I welcome you to Trailer Trauma 2, the Drive-In Monsterama edition. And I'm very happy to have along with me for this audio commentary, the director of The Bloody Ape and Blitzkrieg Escape from Stalag 69, as well as the man behind Cinefear video, Keith Crocker. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to doing this. Yeah, we're very happy to be bringing you a number 35 of 35 millimeter trailers from my personal collection, and I thank Harry Guerrero, who also provided a number of the trailers you're going to see here in this compilation, for the opportunity to do this commentary, and uh, that he allowed me to help uh, with the compiling of this. Uh, in case you don't know, the reason why this uh, edition is called Drive-In Monsterama is because it's named after a weekend classic horror festival I organize twice a year which is held at the Riverside Drive-In Theater in Vandergriff, PA. Uh, we not only show a marathon of uh, horror, science fiction type movies, but we show a number of these trailers on 35mm, and many of them you're going to be seeing today. So we're really happy to be bringing you this. In this commentary, we're just going to have fun with it, share our experiences with seeing some of these films on television, in the theater, uh, on video, and that kind of thing. And Keith and I have background together because we both worked on a fanzine called The Exploitation Journal. Absolutely. The Exploitation Journal was a magazine that George and I did together. Exploitation Journal was produced between the years of 1987 and the last issue was done in 2005. George and I worked on issues together. We called the Volume 2 issues and those we worked on from 1990 through to 1997. So uh, we have a bunch of issues that we collaborated on. We did a lot of interesting interviews with a lot of very talented people whose films you're going to be seeing on this trailer reel. So we'll spotlight that when the uh, particular trailer comes up. Here we go. Here we go. About now to the happen. First, the first trailer on here is uh, Super Beast, which is another Philippine horror film. And this one, this is a United Artists release, actually. It's funny because you're going to see a lot of things on here that were released by major studios and some independents. And a lot of them uh, are double features, so we're going to try to address when things played as double features. Sometimes the trailers will be together as double, as they were, you know, paired together, so we have them back to back. because they Absolutely. Played as in, in this case, yeah. Super Beast and Daughters of Satan. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no footage in this trailer from Daughters of Satan, which, as you probably know if you're listening to this, uh, was... Uh, the first starring role for Tom Selleck, and uh, here we go. As soon as we, it's over. But at least you see some from Super V. Super V is a is a very hard film to get a hold of. It has never been released on home video in the United States. So uh, speaking of not being released on video in the United States, uh, here's the Boy Who Cried Werewolf, which is a Universal film. This is another one. This is one of the last Universal uh, double features. This was on a double feature with. Don't Say It, Hiss It, which is the uh, snake film with Strother, Mar Strother Martin and uh, Dirk Benedict. And my memory of seeing this film was actually on Channel 7, New York's Channel 7, on a, sat on a Sunday night at 11.30 at night. They used to have a slot where they would show movies, and I distinctly remember the first time and only time I saw this film on television was on a Sunday night, 11.30, Channel 7. First time, and I was very anxious to see the film because it was an elusive film. It was. And not a bad and film at all, no, directed by Nathan Duran. No, it's a lot Duran. of fun. Yep. And it reunites uh, Nathan Duran with the star of uh, Sinbad films. Absolutely. Kerwin Matthews. You bet. Well, he was in the first... Uh, the yes. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Seventh Voyage yep. of Sinbad. Seventh Voyage This Sinbad. I actually saw on, also on Channel 7, but I believe I saw it on the 430 movie. 
which if you live in New York, we're going to bring bringing up these New York uh, television stations that used to have programs, you know, horror programs or afternoon film programs that brought a lot of these kind of films. That's where we saw a lot of this stuff. That's where we yeah. saw the bulk of it. Some of the stuff I saw theatrically. Uh, some of the stuff I saw on television. We're also, as I said, going to spotlight some of the video releases, which was a huge help with us catching up with films we hadn't had the opportunity to see. Some people think this werewolf looks like a Pekingese or a Shih Tzu or a raccoon, but <laughs> it's kind of the la- one of the last of the old-fashioned werewolf makeups <laughs> before you know they got into special effects, things like that with American Werewolf in London. It's, so it's kind of a, it's a famous Monsters era old-fashioned werewolf film. Now I just want to point out this is one of my favorite biker films. This is Werewolves on Wheels. And I just wanted to say, you know, uh, I've had people argue with me on this. Removing the werewolf element, it's a great biker film. It's a great biker buddy movie. I just want to point that out. Always really, really enjoyed this film. My first experience with it was on video, Electric Video Incorporated. They were the company that put it out. They were a company that operated out of uh, Bethpage which is not far from where George and I had lived. And um, they, they put out a lot of interesting exploitation films, and this was one film I had always wanted to see. Of course, the poster promises you so much more than you actually get as far as werewolves go, but this is still a very, very entertaining, great poster, yeah. and they used that poster art on the video box. And uh, they suggest there's more werewolves than there are. I think there's two werewolves, the girl yeah. and the guy she bites. That's about it. I still think the werewolf makeups are great. Very old-fashioned. Very old-fashioned. And I think it's a fun film. I don't think there's... Uh, uh, most people review it expecting to see an army of werewolves on bites. They don't get that. They get a bit pissed off about it. But I think this is a fun film. It is a fun film. Completely and the, and enjoyable. The, the werewolf makekup is pretty good. It's actually like a Paul Nashy type it is. makeup. It is. The girl doing the exotic snake dance is actually D. J. Anderson, A.K. Donna Anderson, who was the uh, heroine in Count Yorga Vampire, which was made shortly before this. And also in this film is Barry Maguire. That's right. Who sang Eve of Eve Destruction. Of yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now, here we go with the last Hammer Dracula film, which Keith tells me he saw theatrically when it was released here under this title. Absolutely. In 1979, released by Max Rosenberg's Dynamite Films. Uh, I saw this at the Lawrence Theater in Inwood. And um, uh, I distinctly remember when it came out and my wanting to go see it. I went with my sister and a fiancé at the time. And uh, when I went, I thought it was a new vampire film with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And I was very excited because bear in mind, you know, you didn't get a lot of news back in those days. Your your biggest newspaper was Famous Monsters of Filmland. So I thought it was going to be a brand new film. Once the film started playing, I recognized the imagery from the pictures for the Satanic Rites of Dracula, predominantly uh, from the book, um, oh God. Um, the Alan Frank? The Alan Frank book, thank you, George. Horror that, movie, he did two books, horror. Pictorial, picto- the pictorial It was horror movies, horror and then movies. there was uh, Monsters and Vampires. Right, exactly. Monsters and Vampires, I remember, had a lot of glossy photos from this movie. Absolutely, and, and when the imagery popped on yeah. the screen and I realized it was Satanic Rites of Dracula, I was thrilled because this never got an official release. It yet. never did so, until that time. Until that time. Apparently, so. the first time uh, it was viewed in the United States is it played at a famous monsters convention around, I guess, 74, 70, probably 75, the one where Peter Cushing was in attendance. Right. 
this and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires were supposedly screened at that convention. So that's probably the first time anybody in America had seen it. Had ever seen it. But that wasn't a real theatrical release. So right. this was... And it was this showing that people finally got a chance to see this film theatrically. And I recall that the theater was packed. Bear in mind, this is two years now after Star Wars. And the, the, the movie going, the public's taste had changed in movies. No doubt about it. They were expecting mm -hmm. more. But the people who were in watching this movie with me were loving it. It was a very appreciative audience. So it was a great experience. Seeing this theatrically was phenomenal. Great experience. Ah, here we go with our first Paul Nashi trailer. Count Dracula's Great Love. Uh, I have to say, this is a really rare trailer. I was able to obtain this and I was so happy to get this because I have never seen this trailer anywhere. Um, it seems to be an international trailer that I guess was used for the US release. And George, do you recall the fact that this did get quite a bit of television play here it in did. New York? It did. It was on Channel 5 here in New York. Correct. And it was a, right? a, of course it was cut because this film has a lot of, uh, let's say, sex and nudity. Right. For its time, absolutely, and it was cut on television. And Keith and I were just talking recently about the the video history. It was always hard to get a hold of a decent copy of this film back in the day because there was a, a company called Ivor Film Surface Services, which was a British company, but somehow they bootlegged their releases here. Absolutely, the Ivor Film yeah. Services. What they were doing was the the Ivor Film Service video cassettes were going to Canada. And the people in Canada had them, but there was somebody in Canada who was bootlegging them and selling them to video stores here in America. And that's how we were getting yeah. these NTSA, NTSC dupes of the Ivor Film Service tapes. And their, their version had, was called Dracula's Virgin Lovers, and it had the meat and potatoes, but it was a terribly damaged print that was just, it was missing so much footage because of print damage. And then another company, Gorgon MPI, uh, released it, as, but it was a TV print. So it wasn't until years later, until Sinister Cinema put out, I believe it was from a 16mm print, we saw the, you know, the complete uncut version, which was always a treat. And Keith actually owns a, a 16mm print of it that we screen for friends every once in a while, get a big kick out of. Unfortunately, it is a TV it print. It is a TV print. It's it has fun. some of the violence in it. Yeah. It has the girl getting the blade through the throat. Yeah. It has a lot of the blood drinking, the stakings, but the, the obviously the nudity is removed, but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, watching these on local TV, there were periods where they would get away with a lot of violence. Nudity was a no-no. If it would slip in, and it had, it had slipped in. You bet. Back in the day, it would slip in. <laughs> yeah, it would be by accident because the editors or the censors at the TV station weren't doing their job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not so. It's actually a fun film, but again, very bold. It's yeah. It's one of my favorite. Oh yeah. Ashes. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, it's a great. It's a great yeah. film. It's, it's got, got a lot of stuff surreal stuff, as you can see. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, in fact, I don't know the name of the voice actor, but the, the, the voice actor that's doing the narration of this trailer, I believe he's the same actor that does the English voice of Paul Nashi in this film. Wow. I've heard his voice in, in other dub things, but I believe it's the same guy. Right. Now, here we go. We got some Toho here, War of the Gargantuas. Now, this was in Japan, this was. Uh, basically a sequel to Frankenstein Conquers the World. World. So these, these uh -huh. things are Frankenstein monsters. But uh, the U.S. distributor... Um, Henry, Chose not to make the connection. Yeah, UPA, yep. Henry Saperstein, they decided not to make the connection. He thought they looked more like gorillas, so they ended up 
full-on gargantuous, which I guess wasn't a bad idea because that's you know how we grew up loving this film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this this is this film was made in 1966, but it wasn't released here until 1970. There's really? a 66 copyright, but still, it didn't get released here until 1970 when UPA, as distributed through Marin Films, released it on a on a double bill with a, a popular double bill with um, Monster Zero. Monster Zero. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is a Godzilla film. It's the, the original title is Invasion of the Astro Monsters, I believe. I remember seeing this on television. And I remember being particularly disturbed by the fact that the Green Gargantua ate people. Yeah, and would spit out their. Clothing. The Green Gargantua was yeah, nice. It's really nasty. Yeah. It's actually it's it's an authentically threatening creature. I believe, and, and I'm not a Toho expert, but I believe that one of those scenes is exclusive to the American version. Really? And not in the job. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure somebody will correct me out there if I'm wrong. But okay. I I believe so. And this is, uh, this is Russ Tamblin here. Uh, Nick Adams had been in Frankenstein Conquers the World, so now they, they were using American actors more and more at this time. For the and, international sale. Yeah. Yeah, because it helped, it helped sell and, the film here. Yeah, it's his real voice in the American version. And years later, uh, I actually got to, to meet Russ Tamblin at a convention. He was, you actually he was interviewed cool. him for the Exploitation Yeah, Journal. I did. He Issue was number 15. Super cool guy. Yeah. He said later on, too, that he thought that he was sleepwalking through this. And... You know, if he is, I don't notice it because I'm having fun with it. And no, and he, he, he had a naturally good personality. I, I, yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong. He came off as a cool character. Exactly. You enjoyed him. I don't see anything no. wrong. I always liked Russ. No. Always liked him. And, um, always liked him. But he even said he, he had seen a screening of this years and years later. I'm talking like 30 years after it was made or 30 years after it was released here. And he said he didn't think he did a bad job. Or well, Actually, no, he said that... I'm sorry, he meant that he slept, he thought he slept to walk through the film, but it wasn't a bad film. Oh, no, it's yeah. not a bad film. It's not. No, I know he didn't, even though he might have felt he slept to walk through it, he yeah. actually didn't. No, he does a good job. He makes it memorable. Some of his lines are memorable. Now, you enjoy him. Yeah. Now, speaking of American actors, here's one that has a bunch of them. Now, this is, uh, again, Ishiro Honda directing, like in the previous trailer we saw. This is Latitude Zero. Absolutely. This was uh, released here by National General Film. Right. Who released, uh, they released things like Cat and Nine Tails in the Elvis Presley film Charo. Right. Now this has got um, Cesar Romero. Yep. Joseph Cotton. Joseph Cotton and his wife, wife Pat Patricia Medina. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And uh, Richard Jackal and Linda Haynes, who was later uh, in um, Rolling Thunder and Coffee. And of interest, George, this was an American-Japanese co-production, and this was originally written for television in America by a fellow by the name of Don Sharp. Not the same Don Sharp connected with Sharp. Hammer Films. Yeah, not the British Don Sharp. No, this was an American. In fact, uh, E at the end of his name, at the end of that, it's, it's S-H-A-R-P-E. And this was originally written for American television. It was something he was trying to, to float here, and it didn't end up taking, so brought it to Japan. And they ended up, of course, making this very, very imaginative, really well done film out of it. And this film was elusive. I never had a ch it, it was a long time before I got a chance to see it. I this did film. too. This apparently played on TV when we were kids uh, on Channel 11 in New York, but I never caught this one until no. years later. Until no. I remember seeing pictures of it in the monster movie books. And again, you could see these crazy these rat creatures and these flying. It has no giant monsters that the Toe Hill. The Toho films are known for, but it's got a, a wacky array of of, uh, of creatures, creatures of it's, different it's creatures. A, and of interest, I didn't get to see it until actually I had purchased a, a Greek video cassette that I was using for Cinefear. 
And that was actually my first exposure to this film. This yeah. film had gone past me. So we're talking um, a long period where I had not had a chance to see it. I knew of it. I had seen photographs from it. Again, you know, collecting the books and the magazines I did as a kid on this type of cinema. But this was an elusive title, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think because of the, the, the theatrical distributor here, it wasn't, uh, wasn't well played on TV. It, it was on TV, but I don't think it was shown frequently. No. No, I don't think so. But if you look at how imaginative the costumes are, how, you know, how it, it's just, again, this is a very... Yeah, it's got the great special effects. Very like well done film and different from yeah. what they had usually been doing, which, yeah. makes, it, which makes it a little yeah. more interesting. You exactly. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And it got away with a G rating. Like a lot of these things, you'd be surprised. They got away with a lot. It was, they were pretty violent for G-rated films. They certainly were. Speaking of which, Frankenstein's Bloody now, Terror. this is our first exposure in the United States to Paul Nashie. Paul Nashie. And I remember seeing this on TV as a kid. And I Me remember too. upon my initial viewings, being so used to watching the Universal horror films. This one stood that out. This, yeah. this actually, it stood out. I was, might have in some ways been a little bit disappointed. Because I was so used to the production values from Universal Pictures. Well, and then this was very, this, this, this looked so alien to me. It was so different, of course, being a European film. Absolutely. And being in a different, and of course, us seeing sort of a pan and scan version of it for that, you know. So I didn't get a chance to really enjoy it in its total splendor, as you would say. But it was a film that would grow on you. After seeing it, I wanted to see it again. I wanted to revisit it, so there were many times where it was played on television, and I would watch it, and it gradually I just really warmed up to it, and warmed up to the whole concept of Paul Nashie, and his films got a lot of play yeah. on New York television. And this film, it was released here by Independent International, Sam Sherman's company, and it was basically when it was, he had, of course, you all probably know the story about why this was re title as a Frankenstein film. I'm not going to get into that. Right, we don't exactly. Have time. But it was, it was sold to television very quickly. He made a deal with American International Television. So basically, when I saw this on TV, it was still getting uh, playings at the drive-in. Oh, of course. As late as 1974. Oh, yes. Probably even later. But I know in 1974, it played... Uh, in, in Long Island, it played at the um, the, the Green Acres Drive-In. Yes, it did. Sunrise Drive-In. With, yes, with Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Yes, it, it did. And these films had already been on the TV. This scene in particular, when he kills this innkeeper and his daughter, I'll never forget. As a kid, this was one of the... One of the things I remember seeing on TV that really had a big impression, like this was... It's vicious. This was different than everything else. It's vicious. You have a I was used with... to the Paul... Na I mean, the, uh, the Lon Chaney. Right. And this was very different. And it was very vicious and very mean-spirited. Now this is um, Vampire Beast Craves Blood. It's a retitling of the Blood Beast Terror. Blood Beast Terror. This Absolutely. is directed by Vernon Sewell. It's this is a it's a it's a it's a well-made gothic uh, British horror film, but it has like a '50s kind of monster mentality. Yes, it as does. you can see by this moth creature, created by Richard uh, Dickin, who was I'm very fond of his work. He did a lot of. Uh, he worked on like a lot of Hammer films, like Scars of Dracula and Dinosaurs Rule the Earth. Uh, the, the the creature itself is not, but if you see that thing in the background, which yep. is in a, in a cocoon, cocoon, that that looks really good. It is. It now, is. Now Peter Cushing considered this one of his uh, lesser, or possibly his worst horror film. I mean, that's one of the. You know, you've you've read a lot of th interviews with him, but he once was quoted saying this is his worst film, even if it 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 is. 
It's still not bad. And this played theatrically got... on a double bill with Curse of the Blood Ghouls, which was a retitling for Slaughter of the Vampires. It also played with uh, um, also played with Castle of the Living Dead. Wow. So there was so in so, England, I believe. Yeah, yes, yes. Because Castle of the Living Dead was never shown in here in theaters. Right. But you're right. Yeah, that's and and Slaughter of the Vampires as Curse of the Blood Ghouls was that was already on TV and it was yes, it was because this didn't show till 1969. Yep. So I believe that was the first time Sword of the Vampires had a theatrical release, had but it was already movies. on TV. Uh-huh. There's a gory shot that was always cut from TV that I remember. This is Robert Fleming, who was also in... Um, the Horrible Doctor Hitchcock. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, from what I've read, are not really crazy about him in this film. Wanda Ventham, who was later in uh, Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter. Yeah, the creature is a little ridiculous looking, but... First time I saw it, I remember it was out on the Monterey home video label. Yeah. First time I saw it, I didn't care for it. Upon it, it definitely it, has grown on me. Oh, yeah, I, I it, it's grown on me as well. And, and I, I think it's the type of film that where after your first viewing, if you revisit it, it will grow on you. You'll, it, 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 it will work. We Sometimes just saw it's the first visiting. We just saw a shot of Grimsdyke House, which was the place where they shot a lot of these. Now, this, this, is, this film has a... Uh, this was Robert Harvard Davis, and um, it was completed in 1969. It had a lot of production problems, where they actually had to stop shooting. And then production started, you know, sometime after that. And he actually had his name removed from the film. Because really? they had to shoot some of these. I think some of those scenes that you just saw, those orgy scenes, were some of the reshoots. that were added nothing to spice to it up. With. Yeah. yeah, were added to spice it up. So he basically disowned the movie. Right. It was also known as uh, Incense for the Damned. Right. But it just got a, again, this this was shot in 69, but didn't come out here until about 72. Right, it came out from a company called Chevron Pictures. Yes. It's a theatrical release. Yeah, Patrick Maurer and Imogen Hassel, who was also in When Dinosaurs Rule the Earth. It's a beautiful, shapely actress who had a tragic life. She committed suicide very young, in her, she was only in her 30s. Edward Woodward, Alex Davian. Yeah. Good cast. It's shot in Greece. Uh, Patrick McNee's in it from the. He just, I believe it was just when the, the original Avengers series was ending. But there he is. But they don't make much no I guess you know wasn't a big deal. Patrick McNee. Peter Cushing's part is basically a cameo, but a good cameo. It's funny because the 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 um, the co-feature for this. Um, Bloodthirst is a is a Filipino, Filipino. film with um with uh what's his what's his name Vic Diaz Vic Diaz yeah and okay. it's a, thank you and it's a black and white uh, thing from the mid like 60, 1965 so it's black and white and they make mention it you'll see at the end of the trailer but they don't show any scenes why because it's black and white this is 1972 absolutely and so they didn't want you yeah, they, they didn't, didn't want you to know it was going to yeah. be in black and white you kind of just yeah. got suckered in you yeah. know. That's also what they did with uh, I, I Drink Your Blood. Yeah. I Drink I Your drink Blood, your I Eat Your Skin. That's a right? perfect because example of that. Perfect yeah. example. Same thing. Yeah. Same, same style there. The folks at Red Wolf Inn. Okay, folks at Red Wolf Inn. Big, very interesting about this because I saw this on TV. Shown on now, TV consistently. Now this was on, and speaking on TV, you probably, I don't know, it was definitely on Channel 9, Fright Night in New York. Correct. Fright Night, we're going to probably mention a few times here because a lot of these films played on Fright Night. That was our local uh, Channel 9 show, these movies, uh, Saturday night, around 12, 1 a.m. 
the times varied over but this, this is a program that ran from 1973 to 1987 and um, Jim Arena wrote a great book about phenomenal yeah, book on so it. Yep, yeah, get a hold absolutely. of that if you want to learn more yep. but this is an early cannibal type comedy would you say before yeah. Texas Chainsaw Wait, before Deranged yeah before Texas Chainsaw before Deranged and they they they're when you say comedy, the comedy is a bit more obvious yeah. than it is certainly in Chainsaw Massacre, which takes several viewings before you realize there is any comedy in Chainsaw Massacre, or you know, or even Deranged. This is this is played in some ways more for laughs, but it's uh, it, it, but that's what made it uh, the perfect film to put on television, yeah, because there wasn't much to remove. From this film, it, was it also wasn't called Terror House, well, right? Yeah, and per se, it wasn't a gore film. No, so there wasn't much to. No, remove. it was they rated R, but fight. yeah, but it was pretty much on more, more for subject matter. It was matter uh, than produced by Michael McReady, who also did the Count Yorga films. It's the only other film he produced besides the Count Yorga films, and he has a small part in there as a sheriff or a deputy. Right, right. Footsteps lurk in the dark. Mad Butcher. Now this is a, this Mad Butcher. Uh, this is a trailer I own, and if you notice, the Mad Butcher titles when they come up, it, it's uh, it's inserted. Right. Because this was originally, or it had been shown also as meat. Meat is meat. Right. Um, and the shooting title was what? The Strangle of Vienna. Yeah. Yeah. But this is an Italian film. Funny story about that trailer I'm talking about. The trailer itself is in an Eastman stock, and then the inserts were in Technicolor. So it's funny how they use a Technicolor stock, don't ask me why, to put those silly inserts as the Love Butcher. Uh, the Mad Butcher. The Mad Butcher. But this is, uh, this is Victor Bruno, who did a lot of exploitation films. Yeah, he did. And what's great about this time, this period, the early 1970s, is... Victor Bruno was doing major Hollywood films. He was doing a lot of exploitation movies, but then he could be on, on you know, a sitcom like The Odd Couple or something. Correct. So it was just, yeah, it was just a great. He was a very recognizable yeah. face because not just did he, not just being in these movies, but also being on television. Yeah, he used to be on Johnny Carson all the time as a guest. Now Harry Novak had distributed this under his box office international, uh, but the first time I ever saw it was on the Best Film and Video label. Me too. The Best Film and Video used to put out double features of mm -hmm. Harry Novak's films on video. So we're talking mid '80s. Um, this was a, a double feature with uh, uh, Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks, right. if my memory is correct. And this, that was the first time I had ever seen either film. And uh, they put out, they had nice prints. They, they, they definitely had nice prints. And they also, this company, this video company, operated off of Long Island. They were from Great Neck. They were located in Great Neck, Long yes. Island. So uh, it's kind of funny that um, a lot of the video production, a lot of the companies that carried the type of material that George and I were tracking down in video stores were also located right here on Long Island. A lot of the work was being done right here. And I saw that same tape. I was renting it before we met. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You'll also see uh, Brad Harris here. He was an American actor who did a lot of films in Italy. And of interest, George, did you also notice this isn't a particularly graphic film? That was also played no, more for no, laughs. No, no, it's definitely it played more for laughs. laughs. It was not and a particularly Dick, graphic Dick film. And Dick Randall was the producer. Yes. Who was the, an American who did a ton of exploitation films oh, yeah. in Italy, mostly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh, all exploitation. That's all he did. He was a big he enjoyed cigar it. smoking. He was yep, and he produced. enjoyed it. He yeah. absolutely enjoyed it. You know, he wasn't hiding. He really enjoyed, you know, being a part of making movies like that. There is nothing Carnivorous. 
Last Cannibal World. This was on a double feature with Raw Meat. Right. Which, and if you listen carefully, they do mention Raw Meat at the end. Yeah, of the they do. Uh huh. Yeah. United Producers is, uh, I guess we would call it, say, a subsidiary of of American International National. Pictures, oh, where yeah. they reserved for their more, I guess, um, their even more exploitive films. Right, like they yeah. did with Hallmark. Very, very same yeah, thing. Very yeah. same thing that they did with Hallmark, putting like you know Mark of the Devil, putting out films, uh, Last House on the Left, films that were um, uh, uh, a bit more nastier than what they were used to putting out. So it was nice to have these little shields that you could release these films under, you know, without necessarily using per se the AIP logo. This, uh, you know, being one of the. Uh, I'm not the first, but one of the first cannibal films, Man from Deep River, yes. really being uh, probably you know the first. And bearing in mind that this film and Man from Deep River were really inspired by uh, movies like A Man Called Horse, mm -hmm. coming from that same type of uh, you know docudrama. This was still a couple of years before uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Ah, uh -huh. yeah, absolutely. It's 1976. When did you first catch up with this one? It it took a long time. I actually saw it again under uh, uh, I I rented it from a video store. I rented it from Inwood Video, and it was under the title Cannibal, and it was also off of a it was a British box. So again, this was a bootleg, a bootleg in a video store. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the company that had put it out, but it was, again, a British tape bootlegged for American consumption. And I saw it under the title Cannibal, and it had minor cuts. It did yeah. have some cuts to it. Uh, it wasn't heavily censored. It still had some pretty graphic stuff in it, but, uh, but it had been trimmed down. It had been trimmed down. The next time I got to see it was a Spanish language video cassette that I rented from Freeport. And um, uh, God, I think it was. Uh, I think they were calling it El Mondo Cannibal, and that was uh, that was the first time I got to see it completely uncut, but in Spanish. And then, of course, it resurfaced on DVD a few years ago. Oh yeah, these things are much easier to get a hold of now, and than they were when. Yeah, with the DVD and Blu-ray releases, you're going to see a lot of stuff that you never thought you'd see before. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're just we're just going back to the days when we first were trying to get a hold of these films. Right. Absolutely. It was the search that made it so exciting. Right. It really was. It was the search that made it so exciting. Now this is um, the American International for the U.S. release of um, Who Would Kill a Child? Island of the Damned. One of the best, I would say, uh, killer kids film. Very disturbing. Just very well done. I, I, I personally, I think this is much better than uh, the films that came later, like Children of the Corn. I never could stand Children of the Corn. Children no. of the Corn did nothing. But I even think, to me, to me, and I'll probably get a lot of hate mail. But I mean, I like, I enjoy this much better than say, um, like Children of the Damned and Village of the Damned. Oh yeah. I mean, I like those, but to me, this is just. Takes it to a different level. I think that this film is authentically, it's a Spanish authentically director with English actors, but yeah, uh, and it's authentically unsettling. Yeah, it's authentically unsettling. You have there's a real sense of menace. So yeah, I agree with you completely. With now you. this is a German trailer, obviously in German language for Island of the Fishmen, which was released here uh, by Roger Corman's New World Pictures as Screamers with new footage. Uh, 
that was this was the film uh, that was advertised as you know see a man turned it. Inside, Inside out. out. Did you see this? In the uh, yes, theater? I did. I saw this at the Studio One Theater in Lindbrook. I distinctly remember. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, the insert footage occurs predominantly at the beginning of the film, and they use Mel Ferrer, Cameron Mitchell, and um, now Cameron it, Mitchell is exclusive to the American version. Correct. I've seen both versions. I actually prefer the uh, American New World Pictures version. I think what Corman, the, the stuff he reshot. He reshot some of the, the Gilman, uh, the, the scene where, where Gilman is being transformed. He actually reshot that. Right. Because uh, there's, there's alternate footage in the, the original Italian version. And I right. think I think for the most part, I, I think the New World Pictures version is, is done much better. Yeah. Well, Corman knew what to add to sell. And how to he, hype he, it. Yeah, yeah, and how to hype it. Absolutely. Absolutely. This plays more or less like an Island of Dr. Moreau type of thing. That's... That's kind of what I exactly, think they were yeah. kind of uh, cashing in on because you did have that remake. And there was a resurgence of Italian exploitation and horror film in the late 70s and 80s with all the things Fulci was doing. And Absolutely. So this is part of that. Yeah, it yeah. is a part of that. Absolutely. Actually, the first time I saw this movie was on Channel 9's uh, 4 o'clock movie. Really? In the early 80s. So it was pretty... I mean. Again, they sold this stuff quickly to television. I guess New World Pictures had a, a deal with this Channel 9 because the Star Crash was another one that, that was sold to TV pretty quickly. A bunch of their stuff, actually. This film has a real epic feel, though. They definitely threw some money into it. No, it's it. a period piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a period piece. It plays well. And it's got a good cast. It's got Richard a great Johnson, cast. Barbara yep. Bach. Yup. You've also got yeah. Joseph Cotton. Yes. Richard Johnson. Yeah, Directed by Sergio Martino. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong with this. No, this is, this is a good piece of work. And again, and it, monsters. Yeah, monster it's, it's, it's a retro. It's kind of like retro. 50s it is. It Everything is. dates back to like fifties monsters here. The Gilman, of course, like the nineteenth, like a Revenge of the, I mean, creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I know. I just know that it was a pleasure during the era of slasher films to go see a monster. Film. I agree. During that, the eighties, I, I always liked because there were a lot of slasher. And I know there's a lot of slasher fans out there. I'm not knocking slasher films, but it was great when you would see something that was more or less, even if it was an R-rated exploitation film, it was more of an old-fashioned monster movie, which this was. You know? And that was the type yeah. of stuff I grew up with. So yeah. I really valued anytime a monster movie was coming out, something with a creature, I was there to catch it because yeah. I, you know, I'm a big monster fan. So. Uh, this this movie uh, definitely holds a special place in my heart for that reason. Yeah. Okay, here we go. This is Jerry Warren's Frankenstein Island. Now, Jerry Warren probably needs no introduction here. Just look at this. I mean, he was known as one of the worst directors of all time. And I like bad movies, but he really deserves that title. I mean, He's the type of guy, George, that we were more forgiving with when we were younger. When we yeah. saw his films on TV like uh, Creature of the Walking Dead, which was actually a Mexican horror film that he yeah, added well, some footage to. I mean, the Mexican horror film itself was terrific. The footage he added was ridiculous. Now this... Uh, but yeah. you, you forgave it more when you were younger. As you get older and you reinvestigate his films, then you have more of a problem with them because you're so aware of what he did. John and, and how space. poor he did it. Yes. Well, this is here. This is 1981. Well, it was released in 1981. I'm, I always thought maybe it was made a few years earlier than that. Right. Uh, it looks like it was, and it's one of the first, one of the few trailers you'll see on here that was from the 80s, because this is mostly 60s and 70s. 
But this thing looks like it was made 20 years before that. Oh, I easy. mean, it's a, it's a throwback and not in a in a good way. I mean, just look at this trailer. Yeah. I mean, really, if you look at these girls in these little bikini things, this is this is a movie that could have used some TNA, but it doesn't have. But it doesn't have. You got no, all these still, veterans stars. He was still trying to go for more of a PG type rating. John he's Carrey's got John head Caddy, appears. Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Is that Catherine, Catherine Victor? Victor? Yeah, Catherine yeah. Victor It's well. basically a, yep. a remake of uh, Teenage Zombies. It's teenage Zombies, right. Okay. Yeah, Catherine Victor and Which Rob... he also made, which was also his film. And Robert Clark. Right. And here is the last Hammer Frankenstein movie, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And... Initially saw this on television. First time I had ever yeah. seen it. I saw it first on TV. Then ultimately Paramount had come out with a video cassette of it, but it was like SLP speed and it was cut. Yeah. So that was that that really didn't know justice. Well the American version was was definitely cut. Right. A lot of the gore in fact there's a, a famous scene where uh, Baron Frankenstein is holding uh, veins with his teeth and it actually got into Paramount's press materials. Like the press books and the still slobby corsets. You see that shot, but they completely cut it from the film and they, they, they cut out other little pieces of gore. Of course, anybody seeking this film, it's been out you know, in Europe uncut. It's on Blu-ray in the UK now and in Australia. So, I mean, it's very easily, it's very easy now to get a hold of this completely uncut. Right. Um, the, the destruction of the monster is pretty, uh, pretty wild. That was another thing that they decided to trim here. I guess the ratings board was still pretty strict with these kind of films. So they felt the need to cut them. Yeah, yeah. Might have all might have all been uh, dependent on who they were dealing with, within you know within the rating boards themselves. You know, you happen to get a hard ass who's really going to scrutinize everything, and then you're going to end up getting more cuts in the film than you would have, you know, with somebody who was uh, you know accepting it for what it was—that it's a horror film, that it's graphic, and just leave it alone. You know. I have such an attachment to this movie. I actually made that costume for a Halloween party. Did you ever? Party. Yeah, I remember it was, that. Uh, it was at a... Uh, it was for a theatrical uh, Halloween show where they were showing two, two old horror movies at a... I won't name the theater. But... <laughs> but, uh, but you know, yeah, yeah, I went through a lot of trouble. I made it really cool. And it was really good, I must say. Yeah. Really... I made this thing from scratch. You I did. made like a hair suit. Yeah, you did. You thing did a with great a skull cap. I remember that. You know, and then I, I go to this thing, and they were showing uh, I, I, two two you know classic horror films, and I figured you know people would know who they didn't know who the hell I was. Right. That's the kind of uh, things we've had to deal with over the years. Being you know <laughs> being into these uh, films which are not considered mainstream by any right. You know by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. 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 Now again, this was released here by Paramount, and because of uh, because of the the violence, this was the only Hammer uh, Frankenstein film. No, actually, Horror Frankenstein got an R rating as well. Okay. But the next film, the next trailer on here is Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter, and that was a double feature. Right. And that's why we put them here together. Captain Cronus, uh, I don't think would have gotten R rating here. I think because it was actually gone on in a double feature with Monster from Hell that it got the R rating because I think it's more of a PG. I agree with you. It's, 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 the violence is... I mean, there's some violence, but it's, it's, it's mild. No, it's not R-rated yeah. violence. It's not by, R-rated. By any stretch of the imagination. Even no. the, the throat cuttings and right. stuff. No. No. I think you're right. I think it just, it just fell under that rating because it was on the double feature. Now, this is... Yeah. These films... Both these films were shot in 1972... 
and they weren't released until 74, both in the UK and in the US. Now, they, in the UK, they, they didn't play together. They actually, both films played with, I think, an exploitation or a kung fu movie or something like that. And I know Monsters from Hell in England was released by Afghan Embassy. So I, I just, it's fascinating that a big studio like Paramount, at, late in 1974, you know, distributed these two. It is. And this is really the end of an era. This, yeah. These are the the last Hammer films to get uh, a major play here. And the, the, the last Devil of the Daughter. Gothic. The last yeah. of the Gothic Hammer yeah. films. Their last film shown theatrically was uh, to, to The Devil of Daughter. Right. Which was, um, like he said, it wasn't... That wasn't a gothic. That was set in. A, that was a modern setting. Right. So this really right. is the end of an era. Yeah. And this is. was supposed to be a series. I'm sure not. I'm not telling you anything. You don't know out there. But this was supposed to be a a series of uh, adventures for this character. Which would have been interesting. Which would have been interesting. Made would it would have made it would have would have made for a good series of films. It really would have. Because this is a completely entertaining film. Yeah, and it was directed by Brian Clemens. It's got a great cast. Carol, Caroline Monroe. Wanda Vandom, who we just saw a few trailers earlier in the Vampire Beast craze, Blood is the mother. And it's got a unique concept, yeah. too, in the fact that the vampire uh, drains people of their youth rather than their blood. Yeah. So that's that, that was unique. You know, they were trying to, even though it's a gothic piece, they were trying to change around the folklore. Give you a little something different, and uh, and this this was a good move. This was a really really good. Of course, move. Jansen actually is a German actor. He actually had his voice dubbed. There was, was a common practice with Hammer. They felt the need to to uh, redub some of the actors. They did that a lot with the actresses, but this is one of the few times that when they did the, it with the, the with the main yeah, star, the yeah. Star. yeah. Black Belly of the Tarantula. Right. Now this is a Jalo. And this is on this is a double bill with the weekend words, which is more of a comedy type thing. And this was an MGM release? Yeah, which is again, it's fascinating that some of these films were released by major studios. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I guess they, they were interested in... Um... I think the studios were aware of the fact over the years watching a lot of the independent companies make a fortune yeah. on exploitation films, horror films, science fiction films. And I think it was time for these studios to, if they weren't going to start producing some of these films on their own, then to start importing them. You know, whatever yeah. was easier to do, you know, and get in on the act, get in on some of that box office. And, and apparently... this was big box yeah. office. Apparently, um, Dario Argento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage did really well, so I guess that helped. Oh, yeah. Murder Clinic? Murder Clinic. Now, it's funny because I saw this on TV. Again, this was the first time I ever encountered this film was on television. And um, um, then later on, it became part of that triple feature. Yes, the Orgy of the Living Dead. Correct. And this was released as Revenge of the Living Dead. This bore that title. Yeah, now this is from the original U.S. release, which I would put around 1967. This is, it's a six, 1966 film. Kind of a giallo, right? I mean, oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a gothic giallo. And it was on TV a lot. Yes. And uh, I remember the, the old hag 
Being Makeup, disturbing. Very disturbing. Well, when yeah. I was a kid and you saw a face like that, you didn't forget it. It, yeah. it, it, it was always the most shocking part of the picture when, when she is discovered, when she's come upon. Yeah, and it, it was just you know like again I just want to say this was very disturbing stuff this and that was very that was an stuff. image that was in one of those 70s horror books and I'm trying to think of uh, the Dennis Gifford book yes uh-huh the dead uh, uh, yes it was it was definitely the Dennis Gifford book mm -hmm. had the picture of the hag and um, I kind of remember pictorial being, history of horror movies. that's right the that's it that's the one and it was the picture of the hag from this was was next to the hag from the sheep. There she is. Yep. And it was next to a picture of uh, an image from uh, Michael Reeves' She Beast. Right. It, it always, you know, it always kept you fascinated for these films before you even saw them. Oh, absolutely! You know? I think the publicity coming from books and magazines sold these films to us before we ever had a chance to get our hands on them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. AIP released this. This is a Woman in a Lizard Skin, here I called see. Schizoid. With Florinda Balkin. And that long-haired guy is uh, Matt Kennedy, who was the lead singer of uh, Los Bravos. It was a good garage band. They <laughs> right. only had one really big hit, but... Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting Absolutely. cast. H how do you rate this as as, as, as far as y'all are concerned? I think it's one of the best. Oh, I definitely you know. think it's one of the best. I think I think this... I, 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 I Again, well, this is one of the first times we're encountering the work of Lucio Fulci. And uh, I think this is uh, one of his films that, uh, that got a better release here in the States. And, uh, oh yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely think this is a damn, damn good giallo. Definitely. Of course, being AIP, they have to put the, the little hoopla. Oh yeah. But that's fine. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, which is another, another giallo. Yeah, huh? absolutely. This had been released by uh, uh, Phase One Films theatrically, played on TV quite a bit. And I'm yes. sure most people who are used to seeing this film on cut were wondering, how could you even play it on TV? And it wasn't Because TV. it had copious amounts of nudity and violence. Yeah. And I've got to be honest with you, it was a film that played on TV and didn't make very much sense. No. It was so heavily cut that it didn't make very much sense at all. But the imagery was so captivating yes. that it was not a movie that you would shut off. Well, not that I shut any of these movies off anyway. I mean, this was, this was my drug, was watching movies. Yeah. You know, horror films, uh, you know, any, any genre film was something that I was always tracking down and watching. So I wasn't taken to ever shutting any of these movies off. But he, this was a film that was very difficult to make heads or tails of. And it was shown on Channel 9 here in New York, so it, it did end up on Fright Night, which I just referred to a little while ago, um, which was a Saturday night program. But it was also, I remember seeing this on a Sunday afternoon. Huh? We, had, we must have had some very... The, the, the television programmers in New York must have had a, a sense, sense of humor, a sense of perversion, because they would show... Things like this on a Sunday afternoon, which is kind of unusual. You'd be coming home from church and you'd be seeing, as a kid, this I remember seeing Lamora right. and, and George Romero's The Crazies on a Sunday afternoon. Right, and but, Dracula's Risen from yeah. the Grave. Uh, I, I, that particularly yeah. stood out on a Sunday afternoon, like you said, coming back from church. Now, um, Night Evelyn, I just want to see, that was released to TV through AIP, which probably a lot of people don't know because... And speaking of AIP, here is Mario Bava's Baron Blood, right. which is considered not his best work. 
Um, it's kind of like a throwback again to like an old-fashioned. He's this witch that comes back, you know, after centuries, and he's just like an old-fashioned House of Wax type Vincent Price monster. Right. Again, this is AIP picked this up and it had a major release here, but they passed on the same director's *Lease and the Devil* because I guess Sam Markoff thought that was too arty. But this fits in perfect with perfect with. AIP's type of drive-in films that they were releasing at the time. What's very interesting about this film is, okay, the, the plot is fairly simple. Yeah. Uh, you might even want to say weak. The visuals are damn good. They're very, very intense. It's, it, it's, it's a visually enticing it film. It is, definitely. Beautifully lit, uh, utilizing a lot of different color gels and whatnot. So it's, it's a visual treat. Plus, you've got a great cast. You've got Elkie Summer. You've got Joseph Cotton. You know, speaking of Elkie Summer, I just, Antenna TV has been running Johnny Carson episodes. And they had one with her from 1973. So I, I DVR'd it and I watched it in the hope that maybe she would have said something. Because this was about that, this is 72, but maybe, you know, right. it was still playing. She might have mentioned it. No, right. unfortunately, no. Oh, wow. But anyway, yeah, this when this was released here, it was actually, they had to cut some of the gore out to get a PG rating. Right. And of course, uh, Les Baxter came in to redo the music, which was another common practice with with the AIP. Les Baxter had scored a lot of the, the earlier AIP uh, films that, uh, the earlier Bava films that AIP had released, like Black Sunday and Black Sabbath and The Evil Eye. So another film that I saw at 11.30 on Channel 7. Yeah. And on a Sunday night was Baron Blood. Now this is the Harry Allen Towers Euro remake. Remake early 70s, I guess sexy version. Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray. Helmut Berger. Right, Helmut Berger. Herbert Lom. This was actually released by AIP too. This also yeah. played on television quite a bit, but my yeah. first encounter was, was was the MTA home video release. Yeah, MTA had a lot of these Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth International, which was a releasing company. And some of these films are uh, hooked up with AIP in some connection. Right. They had also released yeah. NTA and also released the uh, Blood of Fu Manchu as uh, Kiss and Kill. Yeah. And we will actually get to that later because yeah. there is a Kiss and Kill trailer uh, on this compilation. But that was actually my first encounter with this film, though this did, like I said, play on TV quite a bit as well. And I also, my research shows that this actually played on a double bill in some part places with uh, Michael Armstrong's um, Horror House. Hmm. Which we have a trailer for on yeah. too. Uh-huh. Horror House. How do you again, think this compares fi- to the uh, the 1940s? I, 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 well, it's well. The, 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 I mean, it's totally different. Obviously, it's, it's a completely yeah. different film, and where the 1940s film excels is in what it suggests. It's it's the inference that works better than per se being graphic. This film is certainly more graphic. The eroticism doesn't hold up as well right. anymore because it, it, it's, it's almost more comical. Particularly, I think there's a scene where um, Helmut Berger is taking a shower and his back is being soaped up and you're, you assume it's being soaped up by a woman but the camera pans back and it's Herbert Lom. Yeah. And Herbert Lom gets into the shower with him. And I'm sure at that time... That was, uh, you know, salacious. That was uh, uh, homoerotic. I'm sure it yeah. was uh, pushing the boundaries a little bit. Now it just it it just doesn't hold up. 
in the same way as it probably did when it first came out. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a bad film. It's not a bad film. It's an amusing film. It's well worth watching. I just don't think it holds up as well. I think it's yeah. one of those films that's sort of dated. And Helmut Berger was a big international star at this time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was in the He was band. good casting. Yeah. It was good casting. He did a fine job. When was the last Mephisto Waltz. Now, here's a good example of the 70s big studio fascination with uh, occultism after Rosemary's Baby. This is uh, this was a 20th Century Fox film, and I believe it's the only uh, theatrical feature for producer Quinn Martin, who was you know one of the big 70s episodic television producer. And he used uh, television director Paul Wenkos yeah. to direct it. Wenkos was one of the best made-for-TV movie directors around. He also directed uh, Brotherhood of the Bell right. with Glenn Ford which was a phenomenal paranoia um, conspiracy theory film um, that a lot of people still put, um, especially conspiracy, conspiracy theory um, followers, uh, people who are really into that, uh, put a lot of weight into Brotherhood of the Bell. They, they're, you know, they, they say it's a, one of the first films to expose a lot of things about secret societies. So uh, Paul Wenkos was an excellent choice as a director to direct this film. And uh, Wenkos went on to do countless, like I said, made-for-TV movies. And he always delivered. The bulk of the made-for-TV films he directed always delivered. He was a good director. Very, very, very good director. Very good director. This is uh, Alan Alda. This is a, I believe this was released the same year MASH came on TV. But it's a good cast. Very good Kurt Jurgens and uh, a very good Barbara cast, Park. but a very very elusive film. Yeah, it's it's one of those films where it's it, it, you it's kind of it could be hard to like. Let's put it that way. It, it, I, it's got I, some and what I meant things. more so elusive. I meant it was hard to actually get to see this film. It was a long time before a video. Well, release. you know, it was uh, it was sold to um, I think ABC uh, for for broadcast. You know, like in prime time in nineteen in the mid seventies. So this was a big deal. At one time, and Jerry Goldsmith did the music. So they'd always had. Um, there was a, a very haunting picture from this film in one of the movie books, and that's the woman walking with the dog with the human head. Who I read is the William Shatner mask. I don't know if it's true. Sim no, serious. Similar to what they used for Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Certainly I don't know if that's true. It certainly I, yeah. had more detail than, yeah. the, than the mask they used for Halloween. Reincarnation of Peter Proud is one of those uh, Bing Crosby productions. Bing Crosby productions, they, they, they did a number of exploitation films. Some, you'll see a few more on here. And it was directed by Jay Lee Thompson? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is, none of those Bing Crosby productions have ever come out on... They were, all, they were all out on VHS, and they used to play on TV all the time. But they never came out on DVD. So I, as the editor of DVD Driving, I'm like... Through the years, I've always gotten people writing about these films, and you know, I don't know exactly why the films are tied up, but they are. You know. it's, oh, it's always some kind of legal paperwork somewhere yeah. that complicates the matter and and uh, and and makes it difficult for these films to get the the release they should get. So, and, and Michael Sarazen is a Canadian actor. He's actually a pretty popular leading man at this time, wasn't he? In uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And Correct. So, you know, when you, you know, this is basically a, 
a, I guess you'd call it an exploitation drive-in type thing, but this was a major release, you know, he was a, he was a pretty big star. Jennifer O'Neill, who was a... It got a lot of publicity. I remember yeah. a lot of airplay from Margo Kidder is great. Television. Margo Kidder is fantastic. Really, really talked about it. I guess it was still a few years before she was a big star. Right. Or a bigger star. But she's the vital piece. Yeah, she definitely Of the is. film. She's yeah. the vital piece of the puzzle for mm -hmm. this film. Which plays out as a murder mystery. Yeah. Possession of Joel Delaney. Now here, this is another studio film. This is Paramount. Right. And Great is, cast again. Shirley yeah. MacLaine, now Perry Shirley, King. Perry, this is a baby face, Perry King. Yeah. This film, this is like, Shirley MacLaine rarely did anything like this. Like, as far as like exploitation and horror. So this is, you know, a rarity in that sense. I like, I like the fact that this film, you know, obviously this was inspired by Rosemary's Baby. It takes place mostly in New York. And uh, I like, the, let me put it this way. This is a film where it takes possession more plausible than, like, say, The Exorcist. In the sense that it's it's kind of under, underplayed. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not vomiting. He's not, Absolutely. You know. Yeah, no, it's not a film about special effects. Yeah. Or loud noises. Or that type of thing. It's 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 a bit more subtle. Plus, it you've got the whole subplot of the Santeria. Yeah. And now the and Santeria. The, there's a great scene in one of the apartment, and there's that's Pat asked from Reform School Girls as one of the inmates. Correct. But yeah, this this here's the sequence right here in the apartment. It's very spooky. It's very. It is. It's it almost is. done in the documentary style. It, it is, yeah. and it's also it's also something of the time. This is it's actually a very good reflection of Manhattan. Yeah. At that time, the city at that time, um, and I think that's what give it gave it that feeling uh, of being a, a, a tad more authentic. Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a, a tad more believable. You know. And this is a film I, I specifically remember being, an ABC primetime event a, Absolutely. a few times. Uh huh. They were still showing. You know, they were. I guess they had a deal with Paramount because yep. they were showing a lot of these. Films on, you know, major uh, network as a network event at prime yes. time. You know, yep. it was a big deal. It was a big deal back then when a movie was sold to television. Right. They they would pay a lot of money for a movie. Oh, they would. Now that I mean, sure. that's an art that's completely gone now. Oh, yeah. With cable and oh yeah, you don't have to go into that. But oh, yeah. back then it was a big deal when something like this was in. Let's scare Jessica to death is another one which we'll see uh, in a little while. Bearing in mind that you know around the, you know that in the mid 1970s, the cable begins. A lot of you know you have you have the start of cable vision. Uh, then in the late 70s you have the uh, obviously uh, video home video, right. and that what of course is going to totally affect the theatricality of motion pictures and the potential for re-releases of motion pictures in the theaters. I mean, even in the early 80s, like for instance, you when we had the 3D craze, we got a chance to see House of Wax, Warhol's Frankenstein, which I'll get into later when that yeah. trailer comes up. But um, the fact is, you got a chance in the movies to see movies over and over again because they would be theatrically re-released. But Cablevision started to knock that out. Video started to knock that out. Okay, here we go. Now we're going back. Our Chamber of Dr. Faustus on a double bill with the Manster, both by Lopert Picture Corporation. And I'm surprised that that 
skin from the face removing scene got into the U.S. release because that is still pretty it's, hard to look at. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Um, and George, you had mentioned to me when you and I got together to discuss doing this commentary, you were talking about what a bizarre double feature this was. Yes. Because you, you mentioned the fact that Eyes Without a Face, now being called The Heart Chamber of Dr. Faustus, is really an art film. And it is, it is just that. I mean, it, it, it is, it's, 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 it's a French film, and it's a, a, a visually beautiful film to look at. Very, very, very well made. Um, and the monster is much more of an exploitive 50s style science fiction. Again, also of interest that being an American Japanese co-production. Uh, but that, you know, that's, that's much more uh, monster movie kitty matinee type stuff and, and then here you have this which is a far more adult horror film uh, a far more adult subject matter and a far more of an adult approach um, to this type of material so it's kind of an oddball double feature it really really is and this of course is the dubbed version the English dubbed version I think the in recent years and because of video releases and theatrical showings the the French the original French version with subtitles is, is what we're used to seeing more and more now. Yes. Uh, so I mean that that helps to give. But Keith is right. It's it's an art. Even in the dubbed, even with the dubbing, it still plays more arty than than usual. Yeah. Than what you would be used to if you were going yeah. to see something called the Manster. Yeah, it's just the Manster very... in England was called the Split. By yes. the way, that was the uh, the title in England because ultimately he does split with his <laughs> other half that. Yeah pops its head out from his shoulder so I guess this is the first of the two-headed monster movies I definitely I yes absolutely no doubt that about was that of them, it was also fairly graphic um, in terms of of the murders there was a lot of sexual suggestion in this film because the doctor in order to lure him in and ultimately use him as a test subject lures him in sexually by setting him up with the geisha girls and various uh, uh, various things like that. So it it it, it, um, it was definitely a little more lurid uh, in terms of the monster movies that had been coming out in the 1950s. Um, in that sense, yeah. you know that there was a sexual undercurrent, and the monsters were disturbing. The fact that this Japanese doctor, who you know you would assume or you use your imagination and you would understand that he was the type of guy who, during World War II, would do experiments on people. And did he do an experiment on his wife? Yes, his own wife yeah. was turned into a creature and his uh, brother-in-law. Right. His wife and his brother-in-law. So it's extremely sadistic. Real, uh, an extremely sadistic film. It really is. Now, I also is... first saw that on television, by the way, too, as the oh, monster. Yeah. Now, George, this is interesting. Banana Monster, which is a retiling of John Landis's first film, right? Schlock. Schlock. It is his first film. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Because the original release was 73. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can see by that, from the director of Animal's House, I believe this is from the early, this is an early 80s re-release. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about that. So there's looks, no doubt about that. Capitalizing on John yeah. Landis's name at this point. No, but wasn't sure if it was rather real late 70s or early. I think it's about 81, 82. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's basically the Schlock trailer they just insert the title banana monster this was released by jack harris jack harris of the blob and uh master of horror master of horror beware the blob you know another Astro zombies yeah uh-huh and this 
This is uh, uh, Rick Baker early work. Yep. And John Landis himself is playing the monster. Oh, it's a great costume. Yeah, it's a great costume. I don't, I don't particularly care for the film. I don't either. I, I think, I just think it was a very silly, <laughs> I don't, my yeah. memory of I it, love I saw the, it on I video. I love the makeup. I love uh -huh. the, the Makeup's costume. great. I don't like, I'm not crazy about the humor. It's a, it's another film where I've seen a couple of times and I can never want it. Is a, you can see a Blob Dinosaurus poster. Right. Which, uh, that's... Shows the Jack Harris. Yeah, well, it's a nod to Jack Harris. Yeah. Yep, yeah, you bet it is. Sure. But it's, a, it's a fun trailer, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the trailer's more fun than the film. Yeah. Now, here we got here we, here we got more apes. This is Gorilla Gang. Yes, it is. Now, this is uh, one of those Edgar Wallace uh, thri thrillers made in Germany. There's a whole bunch of these. And uh, this was one of the color ones from the late... This is like 68. Uh-huh. Wasn't Directed really... by Alfred Vora. Yeah. Yep. And basically, George, of interest is this was really more or less a remake of Dead Eyes of London. Yeah. Only except instead of having um, the ape-like man or the, the mutant that was initially abducting and killing the people, here they have a guy in a gorilla suit. But basically, they just lifted... It's basically that pop plot just lifted and redone for this, uh, for this particular production. But uh, again, this starts to push the envelope uh, in the area of sex and violence um, as the Color Edgar Wallace films would introduce uh, more nudity and, uh, and would get a little bit more uh, graphic, a little bit more lurid um, in the uh, area of violence as well. Now this film was released, I, like I said, it was from 68, but I don't think it was released here until... Uh, 72, 73 by Robert Saxton's Hampton International, which was, I imagine, a short-lived company. That's correct. That, that, that he did in 73, and yeah. then Independent International exactly. released it in 1975. They, yeah, apparently yep. American Internet, uh, uh, Independent International bought up their films, which correct. was only a handful of films. Correct. And, and Independent International released it to TV as The Ape Creature. Because huh. I remember running on the USA Network as the Ape Preacher. Did you see it there? Yes, or, I did. Oh, wow. Very uh -huh. interesting. Wow. It showed okay. on, on uh, USA Up All Night till really, uh, really late in the morning. Well, that's very yeah. interesting. That I did not know. Very good. Eye of the Cat, which is another... This is another... This is a universal thriller. Definitely tried to imitate the Hitchcock films. In fact, it was uh, written by Joseph Stefano, who did uh, Psycho. Correct. And Gail Honeycutt is the lead actress, but uh, supposedly they wanted Tippi Hedred for the role. Correct. Again, Michael Sarazen, we just saw before. Right. A Canadian leading man who was quite popular at the time. And the alternate title to this film was Wiley. Michael Sarazen. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. This is another film I remember seeing on TV as a kid. Very early, it was probably just a few years old when I saw it on TV, and the cat attack scene, uh, when all these cats attack Gail Honeycutt's character, I mean, I remember that really being intense at the time. Right. And I had read later on that they supposedly had to show an alternate version of that scene. I don't know if that's true, but from when I rewatched the film in recent years, it's still pretty graphic the way I remember it on TV, so... Go figure. That was yeah. where I saw it. My, my, my earliest memories with this film was it was played on TV and it was played quite a bit. It was a title that was uh, rotated quite a bit. So that was my yeah, first I don't. This it. is a film, I don't know why. It's like some studio films, they just, they never, um, this was never released. This is, again, this is universally never released on VHS or DVD or any other format. No, they didn't. So it's only kind of been available. I guess it's aired on TV from time to time. I know TBS... This, show it. 
This was a particularly impressive, that shows you, that's impressive more, scene. Yeah. And it's also with the use of the blue screen, it reminds you a bit of Psycho. Well, that's what, yeah, this definitely... When Blossom is going down exactly. the stairs. That's so the can, Hitchcock... When I say Hitchcock influence, I mean, even there's a scene where Saracen and, and Honeycutt are driving in a car with the, the blue screen, and it just reminds you of yeah, how the Hitchcock... Yeah, it's got that feel, it's got yeah. that touch. And again, that probably coming from Joe Stefano, so... Yeah. Yeah. Willard, one of the biggest... Drive-in hits of its time. Cinerama released this film. This was a big, huge hit. And this was a mainstream movie. Now, you, you look at a lot of these films. This was also thinking, a Bing Crosby production. It was a Bing well. Crosby production. Yeah, again, absolutely. Not available. It was on VHS, never came out on, on DVD. Elsa Lanchester here. This was a big deal, this film. I mean, this made a lot of money. And this was a mainstream movie. Like, everybody knows, even if you're not a seasoned horror fan or cult movie fan, Everybody back then knew this film. This was as big as you know as anything else playing, and of course it spawned the sequel. Ernest Borgnine, big big star, big Academy Award winning star. Right. That just goes, and he's great in this. Yep. You know. Oh yeah. And this 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 is one of those films like Rosemary's Baby with the occultism. Willard spawned a whole bunch of you know animal attack kind films. of films, and yep. like with a nerdy uh, character who was. Uh, Always an outcast. An outcast. It's always, exactly. it's always an outcast yeah. who develops a relationship with the animal. He can't relate to humans, but he can relate to animals real well. And that, that theme pops up quite a bit. Look at the red. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Davison. Is phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. It's still a is good phenomenal. Actor. Very similar to Bud Court in that he can play a weirdo. Yeah. Or a psycho was, yeah. in a very convincing manner. Anthony Perkins. You know, I yeah. put him in that category of actors who can play eccentrics, and they do it really, really well. Yeah, this was damn good. Where your nightmares end. And uh, later on, they when yeah. Ben came out the following year, that was the quick sequel. Of course, none of these cast members won it, but they actually double-featured them a lot. And that, was a, that was a big double bill. Yeah, I mean, that was a... Yeah, you bet. Now, speaking of the animal attack films with the outcast, youthful character, we lead right into... Our next trailer, which is... Which is? Which is? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Let's just enjoy this for a few more seconds. Willard is the one... And these, they always had great camp advertising campaigns. Great slogans, you know, these films. Kiss of the Tarantula. Yeah, which yes. is a few years later. This is around 75. And this is, uh, and this is, this is uh, Willard with spiders, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Released by a company that called itself Cinema Vu, VU. And yeah, this my is a really, you know, you go from, from studio films to, to really obscure independent companies. Uh-huh. And this is definitely an obscure independent company. And my first encounter with this was on the VCI video label. Right. And this was one of those big boxes. It was one of those big clamshell the white, boxes. With the and, white, with the poster, and, yeah. And with the poster art on it, and it was enticing. And I remember renting it from a place called Pictures and Video, which used to be in the Green Acres Mall. It was a mom and pop video store where I really got my education in exploitation. I remember, so, yeah. John, because they carried yeah. all that stuff. Uh, they, they carried all that unique uh, drive-in style cinema. Uh, that you were so anxious to see. You knew the films existed. You never thought you were going to get the opportunity to see them uh, unless they were re-released. And if they weren't re-released, then there was video. 
So that's what I spent my yes, early absolutely. days in the early I, 80s. Absolutely. John Ball, my friend and I, back in the day, in the 80s, we, uh, we had a marathon. And this, I remember this was one of, the, one of the ones we rented, and it came on really late. But it was also on, being on TV at the same time. Again, Channel 9 in New York used to run this film a lot. And it's another film I wasn't crazy about when I first saw it. But, you know, seeing it again and again a couple of times years later, it's got some good good stuff in it. It's got some interesting death scenes. It does. You know, and it's got that creepy late night 70s Channel 9 feel. That's that's still the only way I can describe it. it. A, you have to know that, it to really know what that's like. It's, it, it's a movie yeah. that, yeah, you had to experience it. You yeah. had to have lived it. And... It's a movie that grows on you, and as you can see by the footage here... And it's got a great scene in the driving. Yes, yeah. and, and if you notice that the footage here, if you're creeped out by spiders, it's going to creep you. Yeah, because, definitely. Because they're all over the place, and they're on everybody. Oh, so, Kathy's Curse. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a French-Canadian... Now, this is a trailer that is much better than the movie. It's like got all the... This is a, um, this is a crazy, really bad movie that... you could, As you can see, it's an imi not only an imitation of... Uh, you know, just about anything. It's it's a it's another Carrie ripoff. This is maybe a year or two after Carrie, with the it's, little girl, you know, possessed, and she does all these crazy things. It's a kitchen sink movie. Oh, it's it's. You know. I'll tell I'll tell you this, George. It's incoherent. It's an incoherent. It, it's it's an incoherent film. It's got some scenes that work. The bulk of the film as a whole does not work. Um, it had a really good ant campaign. It was released by 21st Century Film Corporation. Right. And a few and years after it was made, too. Yes. Oh, yes. It was probably not until the early 80s when this came out. It was... This is 77. I don't think it was released here until 80 or 81. Exactly. And they so. followed it right up with the video release. It was on right. the Planet Video League. Mm -hmm. And again, that was a big box video. Right. And it was one of the... Again, one of the... I, I always want to say, people don't realize... Uh, a lot of the big companies were very apprehensive to give movies to Cablevision in the early days, and the same thing to video. They weren't so so. A lot of big movies weren't being licensed, but low-budget movies like this were co coming out in droves. Right. This, the, the video stores were full of these. And we films. were renting them because we were looking for stuff to rent. We were looking for stuff to rent, and if we had missed the theatrical showing of one of these films, because certainly by eighty eighty one. I was living in the movie theaters, but I didn't get to see every single one of these films. So right. if you missed it, when it came out on video, you grabbed it right up. You were like, okay, well now I'm going to get a chance to see this. You know, This film does stink. I will tell you that. It's quite bad. It is. Here's Jess Franco's The Demons, which actually got... Uh, a theatrical release, yeah. and it was Hemisphere. Yes, Hemisphere, it was Hemisphere. Yeah, it was Hemisphere. Hemisphere Pictures put this out. I mean, this is a film where there's different cuts of the film as you can see by this trailer uh, some of the exploitive stuff definitely got in it was it was it rated r or was it rated x do we you know that's i do a have good a question book. i'm I have... sorry i didn't pull it out no that's all right yeah. i have the american poster for it and if i'm not mistaken the american poster has an r rating okay so i so... believe it was rated r though i have to tell you the imagery depending on the cut the imagery far pushes the r rating yeah. Definitely really, really pushes it. I mean, certainly well, you can this see trailer... Right here, yeah. yeah, this trailer shows you the most. This would be considered a red band trailer, which means it's unrated where they could show, you know, R-rated R material in the trailer. Now, yeah. speaking of which, George, very interesting with the what we call the re-rise of video and people collecting old video cassettes. The unicorn video for this... 
one of the first releases of this title in the United States. Which is States. where I first saw it. Right. Yeah. Fetches a lot of money on eBay. It's the type of thing where if somebody has a pristine copy of that unicorn video, you can still get a lot of money for this particular title because, uh, you know, let's face it, it wasn't out there in abundance. No. It wasn't carried on a lot of labels. I think my version, the video version I had, was something uh, from, I think it was Canadian, and I think it was Intervision or something like that. It was another, it was like an import that you could also get here. But uh, but it was but it was the unicorn video box that stood out, you know. Again, because of the the, the sexual imagery, um, you know, the, using uh, le legitimate promotional uh, European promotional artwork uh, from the European releases of this film. And this is uh, Franco's kind of follow up to um, the Bloody Judge, Night of the Blood Monster, because the Judge Jeffrey characters character is in this film he, he's the main witch hunter in this film although we see him die right. <laughs> at the end of night of the blood monster bloody judge yeah but his character i guess this in some ways this could be considered a prequel in some ways but and the uh, influence of ken russell's the devil is oh, definitely there tremendous yeah tremendous well, it attempts to be very blasphemous and it's got a lot of the franco regulars alberto dalby's right and, Britt Nichols and Howard Vernon. Howard Vernon, yeah. yep. Now, you say that the Unicorn tape is very rare. I know, I mean, it's been released. This film got a Blu-ray release, uh, and uh, but it's only the French version. So I guess the English dub is is uh, something that's hard to track down. Saw unless that. You have, yeah, 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 yeah. There was, uh, the, the Germans had put out, I think it was a three DVD set of this. If my memory is correct, well, it was three with three different color, uh, covers. Yeah. Might have been, but there, there were, I think there were alternate versions of the film on the one disc where it was a double disc. And, uh, and I have it. Um, I really should have pulled it out before we looked at this, but uh, I think you got one or two discs and it had two different versions of the film on it. Mark of the Witch. This is what I want to read what I wrote about Mark of the uh, something I wrote Please. about Mark of the Witch. Please. Mark of the Witch is admittedly inept but a dated, groovy attempt at the witchcraft genre that some will find amusing and fairly watchable. Though rated GP at the time of its release, there are a few bits of blood, but it's mainly safe drive and fair for the curious. Anitra Walsh is a very sexy, and she pulls off the transition from naive student to wicked witch nicely, although sometimes she comes off like a secondary character lost in a time warp on an episode of Bewitched. Marie Santel makes... Uh, daunting witch even though her screen time is limited and Robert Elston and Daryl Wells do their best at fighting even evil although their act sometimes uh, resembles a mediocre imitation of Roger Perry's and Michael McReady's monster hunting duo in the same year's Count Yorga Vampire there are also some psychedelic camera effects and the final shot reveals a twist ending now this is a film that uh, was rated GP but uh, there's an a longer R-rated version. I guess the distributor cut it down. And the R-rated release actually got a, you know, a DVD release from Code Red DVD. So okay, there's a longer version. Of course, any film that was cut for, for PG works better. Do you all know what print they used for the video release? It was released by a company called AIP Home Video. I don't remember. No don't connection to ever, American yeah. International at all. I don't think. But I've it was seen that. it was a popular video release back in the video days. I remember that. Yeah. 
Now here we go. This is Norman J. Warren's Terror from Crown International. Yeah. Uh, here, which by the way played at the Lindbrook Theater. Yeah. Um, back when it first came out, it's Norman J. Warren's kind of his version of Suspiria, which very he much admits. influenced yeah. by Suspiria. He definitely says right out. He, he said definitely it because we interviewed him. Yeah. No, yep. he's Norman J. Warren. We did get to interview a few years ago. He's a really nice guy. Still around, uh, still trying to get films off the ground. Uh huh. But we got the opportunity. To, he's from England, of course. This is, you know, and uh, he came to New York one time. And Keith and I got to meet him and interview him in Manhattan. George and I yeah. got to meet him through producer Richard Gordon. We had done yeah. a, we, we did a, a huge interview with Richard Gordon. Richard Gordon uh, set it up that we would meet uh, Norman J. Warren, and we did an interview with Norman J. Warren, which appeared in Exploitation Journal, Volume Two. Um, number five, which is out of print. Um, there are, you know, we, we no longer have any copies of that. But uh, Norman J. Warren was a pleasure. He was a, a very easygoing guy, um, a real, uh, I want to say, working class filmmaker. Um, and he, he had a, a, a spat of luck around this time as product was needed for the theaters and for the drive ins and for uh, what was going to be cable and video. So uh, he had a, a period there where he was on a run and he was making a lot of films. This being one of his uh, better, uh, better productions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was supposedly made a lot of money. Yeah. VCI Video had put it out yeah. here in the in states. Speaking of VCI Video, they also put out the Terror in the Wax Museum. Now this is another Bing Crosby. I think we have the Bing Crosby productions almost. Covered. Fully, fully covered. Bas basically, we might be missing yeah. one. Yep. But yeah, this, uh, as far as the horror films are concerned, right. I'm saying. This is, uh. I guess it's, uh. This is another throwback. I, this is, um. Cinerama released this, and if you ever see the advertising for this, it had the. That trend in the 70s where, like, they had the all star cast and their faces would be on the posters Poster. and the boxes. I mean, look, you got John Carradine, Ray Milland, uh, Broderick Crawford in this, Elsa Lanchester. And in some ways, they're trying to pass it off like a murder mystery. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's got the horror elements here, right here, George. This is what appeared on yeah. the poster. In, Those were the faces. Boxes, yep, yeah, absolutely. Maurice and, uh, Evans. Yeah, I mean. And bearing in mind, folks, that in order to get a film released to the theaters at that time, you had to have actors of name in the production, at least one. In this case, when you had many. You could promote that. You could that. ride yeah. on that. It's an exploitation movie exploiting the actors. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it, this is a, a f there's nothing exciting about this movie. I mean, I f saw this in the 1970s on ABC primetime on yep. a Friday night, and it was a big deal, you know, to look in a TV guide and with the family, and like, oh, look what's on tonight. There's this new, right? You know, and it was a big deal. I'll never forget this the song that the the. The bar made sings in my head. I won't sing it now, but it'd be stuck in my head forever. Right. So if you've ever seen that film, you know what I'm talking uh -huh. about. Uh -huh. Absolutely. But, uh, Absolutely. I remembered it from TV as well. Yeah. TV was my first experience with this film as well. And again, from Cinema, Cinerama releasing. Yep. And they called the, 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 the hunchback character Karkoff or something. like. It almost looks like it says Karloff. I mean... Yeah, might as well be Karloff. Yeah. It might as well. Yeah. Now here we go. This is more Wax Museum thrills. This is... Uh, Nightmare in Wax, which is, uh, this was produced by Rex Carlton. Right. And uh, this is a low-budget feature directed by Bud Townsend, who did, we saw earlier, the uh, folks at the Red Wolf Inn. Right. And the, uh, the X-rated version of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, this, Rex Carlton produced this film. I won't get into it just briefly. He, um, 
he this in the next trailer we'll see. He produced these films and he was uh, he owed money to let's say rough types. Yeah. And he committed Seuss. suicide in 1968 over it supposedly. Really? And that was before the, this film was released. This was released in '69. Um, and this, the film after this was they were on a double feature together. Um, this film, this is Cameron Mitchell starring. For, I think this is the film that has that established Cameron Mitchell as the, you know, Z-grade movie actor. Right, the go-to guy yeah. for C for C-grade because budgets. it was like yeah. I uh-huh. mean, let's let's put it this way: he would still do television, and he would be in some a couple, few Hollywood, you know, major Hollywood films after this. But from here on in, he was like, you know. I think Michael Weldon in the Psychotronic book said until Cameron Mitchell catches up, John Carradine has made more bad movies than anybody. But that just goes to show you that Cameron Mitchell, I mean, he's just, he was just the, I mean, you, you see him and you think, hear his name and you just associate it with like a really bad movie. And yeah. this is like, this is, this is uh, the real first piece of that, you know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. This had been put out, it's funny, this had also been put out by VCI Video, and I remember seeing it on TV, yeah. and it always had a lot of cuts. Chiller Theater on yes. Channel 11. Yes, it was always, it was yeah. always, it was always the, the cut version, I think even when it came to video, they had the cut version. Chilla, and this one was on Chiller Theater as well. Uh, on my website, DVD Drive, and Joe Cassio wrote a great piece on Chiller Theater on Channel 11, which is... If you grew up in New York, historically, it's a big deal for horror fans. Well, so. Of course it is. Now, this yep. is Al Adamson's uh, Blood of Dracula's Castle. Like I said, these two were paired together. Unfortunately, like I said, the producer had already committed suicide by the time, the year before, a year or so before they came out. Uh, John Carradine's in it, not playing Dracula. Uh, Sam Sherman, who was uh, Al Adamson's partner, always said that Adamson really didn't have a... a feel or a real know-how about horror films right and even though he's done some entertaining pieces of you know right B movies that's that could be evidence that the the opportunities he had he had several opportunities to use John Carey in his Dracula but he didn't he did here he uses uh, Alex, Alex D'Arcy yeah he uses Alex D'Arcy as Dracula meanwhile as we know Carradine had played Dracula. Yeah, and for fans, so, that would have been a big deal. It would have know? been a really yeah. big deal. to. It would have been a smart move to possibly, you know, to have him in that part. It definitely would have been the smarter move. And I'm sure some people, seeing his name in the publicity, assumed he was going to play the vampire. Now, of interest, George, on the TV print, yeah. uh, the convict that acts as their yeah, assistant, Dix, that they yeah. escape, that they help to escape, he goes on a murderous rampage. He turns into a werewolf. Yeah. At the end of the TV version of this particular film, what's the story behind that? Uh, that stuff was shot for TV. I don't know if it was to pad it out or to make it more interesting. Uh, they added scenes where he was in a werewolf mask, and they weren't in the theatrical version. Right. Yeah. Because I remember seeing it on TV, then all the other video versions thereafter, yeah. I never saw it. A DVD it. did come out through uh, Code Red, but I, I think it's already out of print. I do have a copy of it for reference, so... Now, this is Castle of Evil, right? which is uh, a 60s film. Uh, this was directed by veteran director Francis D. Lyon, and it was made back-to-back with um, Destination Inner Space, which supposedly both films were shot in 14 days. This was uh, for a company, United Pictures Corporation, which is a short-lived company. They did a lot of... Uh, they did all exploitation films, and their, their main purpose was to 
make films quickly in color so that they could be released to TV quickly because there was a demand for, you know, color TV packages in the, the mid to late 60s. And that this ties is just, right uh, in with yeah. what Larry Buchanan did. Remaking this, the, yeah, the, this the looks the like AIP. a Larry Buchanan film, but this was actually shown in theaters. Right. It was on a double feature with uh, Nightcaller from Out of Space. Yes. Under its American title, which is Blood... Uh, Blood Beast. Yeah, Blood... Uh, Blood Beast from Out of Space. Blood Beast from Out of Space. Blood Beast from Out of Space. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And of interest, I remember seeing this on TV, and I also remember picking up the Republic video. Yeah. When when it finally came out on video, I had a chance to revisit it I, I, uh, via yeah. the Republic now, video. Now, this and its co-featured destination, Interspace, was sold to TV fairly quickly. And in New York, it showed up on Channel 5's Creature Features in prime time. There you go. Now, this is the trailer for Roger Corman's The Terror. Right. And, and when you and I were discussing this, George, yeah. you said this had to be a 70s release. Well, the, na the, the voiceover narrator of this trailer is Ron Gans, who uh, did practically all of the New World, Roger Corman's New World trailers, and New World started in the 70s. And the way they, they hype Corman's name on this trailer, I'm thinking that it must be, I don't have this confirmation, but I'm thinking this must be a re-release from this the 70s. There's no question yeah. that he was probably re-releasing it through his New World. Yeah, because and the film was a film group film that I guess right. he was able to... to and, yeah. and in the 1960s, they would not have launched it on his name at that no, point. At no. the point that that came out, he had not reached... He was working. His name was out there, but he had not reached the credibility level that he had finally reached by the 1970s. So there's no doubt that this had to be a re-release trail. Yeah. No doubt Which in my is, mind. No doubt in I my mind. I guess it makes it more unique. That, you know? that is, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, this was a film that even when you saw it on TV, it appeared to be an incoherent mess. Yeah. Uh, because you had so many hands involved with the actual yeah, I production think, like, of the film. Coppola including and, uh, and Jack Nicholson even and, doing yeah, some directing. Supposedly, and uh, yeah. Monty Hellman. Monty Hellman, yeah. Everybody came and in and had a little piece of it. Now it's notoriously known as one of the films that's like in the public domain that's been released and shown to death because of that. Oh yeah, uh -huh. yeah. for that exact reason. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you could find this on any sell-through video. Label. Yeah, this was the most com one of the most common sell-through video cassettes in the early eighties. And up until a few years ago, uh, our local public television station used to run it on Friday nights every so often oh yeah because, because it was in the public domain oh yeah oh yeah and it's not that it's per se lacking in production value it's not that it's just that it's it, again it's a film that was more or less made in pieces there wasn't one whole director yeah. to give it uh, uh, a sense of style let's say you know now this is Tower of the Screaming Virgins correct now this is a 1968 kind of swashbuckler exploitation thing from Germany, and it was released here by Maron Films in 1971. So this is something that probably would have been if it was released here when it was first made. It would probably been an adults-only thing. By the time it came out in the early 70s, it got released with an R rating. Yeah, it's basically and, a nudie costume drama. Yeah, I mean, is, per se, is what it is. exactly. I mean. This is not a horror film, and we throw it in there because it's a nudie film. A nudie film passed off as kind of a horror film, obviously by the title and this, the way this trailer is presented. Uh, I showed this at one of the early Monsterama festivals, and you know something like this always gets a lot of uh, a nice reaction. 
It does. You know, pretty girls wiggling around. And, right, wiggling around, and, half dressed. Yeah. You know, period costumes. There's there's a, there, there's an ambitious sense to it. There's yeah. an ambitious sense to it. Um, um, of interest, uh, I caught up with this on video, and George, you and I were discussing it. It might have been on both video labels. Um, I remembered it being released by Video Yesteryear, um, uh, which was a company I believe that operated out of Connecticut. I want I want to say Sandy Hook, Connecticut. But um, you were also saying that you believe that it came out uh, on the video Dimensions label. And I think you, might, you could be right about that as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, you might be right about that as well, George. I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm the title sure is phenomenal. Yeah. The retitling, calling it Tower of the Screaming Virgins, is, is guaranteed box office success. I mean, yeah. that's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's similar to what uh, Harry Novak would do. With yeah. the John Roland vampire mm -hmm. films, you know, no calling the Requiem for a Vampire Caged Virgins. It's of that type of, you know, it, it's of that type of... Uh, Virgins are always good, it's a good thing to have in a title, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, it moved, it, it now, definitely here, moved. This is uh, Scream of the Demon Lover. This is, uh, this was a, a European thing picked up by New World Pictures and Ron Gans, the famous New World trail of voiceover artist is doing the narration wonderfully I might add and uh, this was um, again this is the early days of New World Pictures so I imagine Roger Corman was looking for product so he would probably you know uh, meet with all these distributors that had foreign product because he was releasing you know stuff like this this showed up on a double feature with um, the Velvet Vampire right I believe. Yes. Yeah. That was the double feature. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I have a press book for that, and that is the double feature. Which was a, a homegrown New World thing. This, this I remember seeing again on Fright Night on Channel Nine late at night, and uh, for some reason it really spooked me out. I really found this film creepy. Watching this late at night in, alone in the dark was was very creepy. It's it's a you know of course this is being a. a a kid, you know, it's it's a hard feeling to recapture. Sometimes I try to do it. it, you know? it, it it's an eerie film. Uh, it's all atmosphere based. Uh, you know, you've got an extremely dark and gloomy castle. Uh, there's a sense of isolation. So yeah, I agree with you. It was an eerie film. I caught up with it when it was on video. It was the Wizard video, and they had released it as Blood Castle. Yeah. That was the title they stuck on. It came out in Wizard Video, and uh, they were known, they were good for importing European product, and this film being Spanish. Um, and then, of course, ultimately, it came out on the Charter Home Video, right, which, which is, was uh, putting out... Which I think is a full-length version. Yep. Of course, when it was on TV, it's cut the yep. ribbons, but yep. I think the original Spanish title is Ivana. Named after the character. Okay. Yeah. And now the screaming starts. Is a um, this is an Amicus film released by Cinerama. And, uh, you know, Amicus was the British company known for the anthology films. They did a couple, well, more than a couple actually. They did you know feature length stories. I I, I think this is one of their better ones. Uh, some people disagree. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm complimenting some of these films too much. But they're you know they all have 
They have they they all have even if they don't work as a whole, they have elements yeah. that make them stand out. This I, was a surprisingly good film once you I think got it's a, a really good story, yeah. Uncut. Yeah, it was no, about I, seeing it uncut. Exactly. When it first the, came out on video, exactly. they the used a TV print uh-huh. and it was butchered. Yeah. And it, you know, again, it was semi incoherent. Yeah. And once you finally had a chance to see this uncut, that made yeah. a huge difference. It and really did. No scenes of Peter Cushing in the trailer. He's he's got a small role. It's a guest star, but it's it's a good guest star. And like Keith said, once you see this film uncut, it's a lot of impressive stuff, and it's a good good ghost story, I think. Now we had the Island of the Damned. This is the same director, Narcesco Ibenesardor. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who did two? He did this and Island. Both are classics of horror cinema. Uh huh. You know. And his and his father was a, a big time actor um, in in uh, in Spain, and uh, they acted together. In the film that Jack Harris would release here as a master of horror. Uh-huh. And uh, what was interesting about that is that those stories, those were three Edgar Allan Poe stories uh, thrown together. It was the case of M. Valdemar, um, the uh, Telltale Heart, and um, trying to remember uh, what the what the other story was it was it was three different stories and what had happened was those were actually being shot for Argentine television and they were uh, compiled into a theatrical release and then Jack Harris bought that theatrical release but cut out the telltale heart segment which would later be bought up and released as a film called The Legend of Horror mm-hmm. which had additional scenes shot and inserted into it by the American you know whoever brought it over the American producer who had brought the film over so um, um, they, they you know obviously they had a history um, with horror and, uh, and doing horror stories and that type of thing and I think that that um, this was released by AIP, and uh, the ending, which again, this they keep revealing too much in some of these trailers. Yes, the ending is very similar to uh, to Pieces, which was, yeah, Pieces is technically a, a remake of that film. Yeah, technically it is. Now Hell House Girls, this is not at all a horror film. We decided to throw it on here because it's a pretty rare trailer. This is a. Uh, this is a Robert Har- Harford Davis, British-made, uh, I guess, melodrama slash sex exploitation. Not really sex exploitation. It's got some, you know, little tease bits. But you know, they throw in the best elements, of course, the cat fight. This was uh, AIP released this here like four years after it was made. It was a '69 film released here in '73 as School for Unclaimed Girls, and this is an obvious grindhouse type furthering of the ty- of the film under Hellhouse Girls so they could you know get the most out of it uh, in England it, it, the, the title is this, something like the smashing bird I used to know again it's like it's this is not a whole <laughs> over like yeah. a lead balloon using well, that title here yeah, we well, go over like a lead balloon of course well that's why yeah, yeah right. school for unclaimed girls they had something right it's it's uh you know again it's a it's a it's a melodrama with uh, some exploitive elements Patrick Maurer who We've seen a couple of times in Bloodsuckers. We saw him before. He's a a good British matinee idol at the time, and he plays a conniving uh, gigolo who's conning these older women and 
you know, the daughter gets involved. She goes to this house for, for bad girls. And it's, it's, yeah, another rare film has never been released on video or DVD here. So now this is, um, House of a Thousand Dolls. This is uh, Vincent Price. Now, the reason why we put this, this is the only Vincent Price title we have on here, is because since this is a Blu-ray release, a lot of the Vincent Price films are coming out on Blu-ray and all the trailers are there. This one came out, but the trailer wasn't on the Blu-ray for the House of a Thousand Dolls. So, in fact, somebody was writing to me recently through the website and said, you know, I'd love to see this trailer. So I was really happy that we were able to present. This is a Harry's trailer. Um, again, this is uh, uh, Harry Allen Towers. Why Vincent Price is in this? It's like you know he's just doing things that he wasn't happy with during his AIP contract. This is before which find a general, which kind of changed things, and fives, of course. But uh, you know, it's just it's basically a, a white slavery story, a typical Harry Allen Towers exploitation film, and not not seen on television a lot, right? No, no. no. No, beautiful Martha and a Hyatt. really, really good cast here. They, yeah, I mean, it's a real, it's a top-notch cast, and it's actually a, a rather good production. It's a, it's it's actually yeah, well, a rather the Harry Allen Towers entertaining always, film. Were always nicely produced. They were I mean, always nicely done. Yeah, you can say what you want about the movies, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the the point is, I think what some people objected to was the uh, subject matter. Of some of the films being somewhat lurid, and certainly yeah. this is, yeah. you know, dealing with the subject of white slavery. But it's fascinating. There isn't, a, there isn't really a bad moment in this film. It's, it's a very entertaining, very entertaining production. Finally, it's seen the light of day on video. Yeah. Finally, came out on video, but yeah. late, very late yeah, in the did. game. It was yeah. first on video in the eighties, late eighties, right. Think. Or early 90s, possibly. That's what I was thinking, yeah. 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 This is, um, again, this is a Sam Sherman's uh, Independent International releasing uh, another Paul Nashie film that he picked up. This was, uh, this is basically Paul Nashie's Jalo. Yeah. A Spanish Jalo, because it was called Blue Eyes of the Broken, Broken Doll. Doll. And Sherman uh, wisely released it under that great title, House of Psychotic Woman. And I always bring it up, there's a movie, uh, Times Square from 1980. And there's a scene in that film where the girls are walking down uh, 42nd Street area and they see the marquee for this film playing. Obviously, it was a re-release even in that film. Uh-huh. But they, you know, they, they allude to it. They say, look, House of Psychotic Women. This played on TV. Yeah, it played on TV. And actually, uh, when it was... Uh, Sam Sherman's Independent International sold this to TV in a package... And it was on TV, it was called House of Doom, but then it did later play on, again, on the USA Network as House of Psychotic, Psychotic Women. Women. Yeah. And, um, if you listen carefully, it uses some music left over from Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Again, uh, very gory. I think Sherman, like, just trimmed it, you know, a little bit, but it was pretty much uncut. Basically, remove the scene of a, uh, a pig uh, yes. being bled. I didn't want to. Yes, yeah, I hate I animal know. deaths, but yeah, that's right. basically it. Right, I mean, right. Yeah. That was basically what he removed from yeah. it. That was the main thing. Yeah. Uh huh. And it was released on the Super Video label. Right. And that was a good chance for us to finally get to see the theatrical. Yeah, that was another. Uh, Super Video was was. Independent International, all their products. Exactly. And yeah. all of their acquisitions 
came out on that label. So this was a big renter, folks. You got to realize these rented from video stores. These were yeah. some of the biggest renters from video stores. You're all thinking it might be Hollywood titles, but it it wasn't so much that. It was back more then. Or less it was this type yeah. It was material. It was more like independent type stuff. Hollywood didn't they trust. They weren't releasing. Hollywood was not releasing their no. older, especially these kind of films. Right. Not until much later. They, right. You know, they didn't see the. Now, House of Seven Corpses, uh, another uh, interesting, low-budget, very low-budget zombie film. Again, I know I might sound repetitive, but I saw this as a kid on TV in the 70s. Oh, and it was horrifying. Yeah, well, Keith just said it. It really, this was really scary. This was like, I know you look at it now, and you're like, how could that be? But... The no, corpse it, at the end. I mean, this was really creepy movie. It was a creepy yeah. movie through the whole film, yeah. and it, it was done through. Again, this is a film with atmosphere. It was also a film where the music worked really well on its side. It, it, the whole production had a foreboding atmosphere. It was an extremely uncomfortable film as a kid. It was very. That's the word. Uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Fun Just, to watch, but uncomfortable. Fun you were and, like nervous watching it. Yeah, and it was disturbing. I, yeah, and it would disturb you. When I say you were disturbed, you were disturbed. It, long after the movie was over, as the you, you'd walk through the rest of your day days. Yeah, exactly. Because I, of a movie like this, I can back that and up. And even yeah. a bizarre, simple scene like that guy taking off yeah. his wig. Charles McCauley. Yes, yes, was, that was shocking. Yes, it was shocking. It was shocking. Like he's bald. That yeah. he's bald because the character is, is so pompous yeah. and so full of pride. This film is an attack on filmmaking. It's an attack on actors and exactly. actresses. It's a bold movie because it's criticizing the very industry. That it is, okay? That it is, but it's playing on egos. And that guy has such a big ego and he's so proud of his hair and then to reveal at the end that the hair is fake, that he's yeah. wearing this wig. Yeah. That was as horrifying or <laughs> shocking sure as anything else in the film. Exactly. And I, I hope this is coming across to you people okay. You, you might not see the worth of what we're saying, but what I'm trying to tell you is when you first saw a film like this, it was strange things like that that stood out in your head. Exactly. It, it was remor remarkable. Remarkable things that you remember. And a good cast. Yeah, absolutely. Now this is William John Pruitt. Ireland, who was getting very, very involved in low-budget films. And yeah, I'm sorry, absolutely. folks, we're, we're bleeding yeah, we'll, into the other trailer. No, John yet. Ireland, definitely. And, I, uh, I apologize for yeah. that. No, that's a 200-year-old mansion surrounded by... That's his William Pruitt's uh, house by lake. This is a Canadian... I guess you can call it uh, a Canadian imitation of Last House on the Left. Yep. I think that's a fair... Uh, yeah, AIP released this year. I think it's it's originally called uh, Death Weekend. Yes. And, of course, AIP released it and uh, definitely capitalized on that kind of... House of Secrets. Last House advertising campaign. Don Stroud, Brenda Picaro. This is actually this. I saw this again recently, uh, screened with an audience, and uh, it definitely it, it works well. It's uh, you know, it's an intense film. It's it got some gripping film. stuff. Yeah. You know, I I don't remember William Fruitt doing too much else that I was crazy about after this, but. William Fruitt's films were very offbeat. Yeah. And I think that it made him interesting. I think for that reason, it, it, it made him very, very interesting. William Fruitt also directed, am I right about this? Did he direct Funeral Home? Was that the film that with, um, God, if my memory's correct. I believe so. I think yeah. he did. I think yeah. he did, which came out during the era of the, the slasher films, but was yeah. still more interesting right. than your standard slasher film. 
That, you know, so what I'm basically trying to say is that William Fruit was an interesting director. He was an offbeat director. He offered an interesting product. Okay. Now, how does uh, this, Dan Curtis rank? Th this is incredible. Burnt Offerings, folks. I saw this in the movies. I saw this at the Rockville Center Theater. And at that time, it was a huge theater with a balcony and a mezzanine. And it was a gorgeous theater, a real beautiful theater. And I went into this uh, not knowing what to expect. Saw it when it was theatrically released. I was horrified by this film, and in fact... Uh, horrified, scared, or horrified? No, no horrified, scared. I thought okay. this was one of the most horrifying movies I had ever seen uh, in a theater up to that time. It was certainly a psychologically disturbing film. Again, part of the reason why it worked so well is because of the cast. Because you've got Oliver Reed, because you've got Karen Black, Burgess Meredith. Um, Betty Davis. Uh, Betty Davis. This is an incredible cast that makes uh, a semi-unrealistic a, a semi plot believable. It's a very psychological yeah, yeah. film. And of interest, this is Dan Curtis, who was making films for television. And from what I understand, this was originally supposed to be made for television, was deemed too horrifying and given a theatrical release, which makes total sense to me. Which makes complete sense to me because, as we as we mentioned before, Dan Curtis was a TV director. He was a man who worked in television. He, he was not known for his theatrical work or for the you know films that played in the theater. And this was certainly too strong for TV. There's no question in my mind the imagery and uh, the damaging psychological visuals uh, definitely did not make this a film that would have been good for television. So. And it still uh, it got away with a PG rating. Yes, it did. Yeah, which is fascinating. But but again, the strength of this film is the psych psychological angle of it. Yeah. The 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 fact that um, the house itself is playing on their psychological weaknesses. The house is playing on their Achilles heels. Is what makes this uh, a, a really engaging movie and a movie that you can relate to. Um, it's scary. It's really it, really it, scary. It, it still holds up. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. Now, Horror House, Michael Armstrong's first movie. This is a British Tigon production, which was a troubled production from what I understand. Uh, only like basically two, two thirds of what he shot ended up in the film. They did some re they did some new scenes with uh, you know, a character and her older uh, boyfriend stalking her kinda, this, this fella. My yeah. memory of this film was again, seeing it on TV, uh, the ending is a revelation, and it's violent, and it even played violent on TV. Uh, I mean, the, the, Im the imagery was graphic, it was disturbing. As a whole, it's not particularly good. Taken as individual set pieces, there's some decent stuff in it. Yeah. There's some really decent stuff in it. It's funny how Michael Armstrong had such a troubled career, more so as a director. Because he even had his headaches with Mark of the Devil. Right. So he had a very tumultuous start. And uh, he might have found his life easier as a writer than, say, as a, than, say, as a director, you know? Which um, was the case. I actually showed, a, I showed this at one of the Monsteramas, um, MGM's 35mm print, which was a restored of the British version known as um, The Haunted House of Horror. And I mean, again, like he said, it's it's a mixed bag, so it didn't. I don't think it really went over. Well, it's one of those films where we showed, and a lot of people had never seen it or heard of it. Personally, I thought it was just great to see it, you know, on a big drive-in screen because this film was something that AIP just repeatedly used 
you know, played at the drive-ins in those like bills with different films. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, they recycled it. So yeah, again, it's a it's a mixed bag, but uh interesting one at that. Now George, we talked about seeing movies on TV that were very disturbing. I wanna bring this up again. Okay? Uh the Beast, Beast in the in Cellar. Cellar. Yeah. Again, this movie for for whatever reason, uh scared the hell out of me as a kid, seeing this on television. And again, it's really the premise, it's the concept, the idea that the, Dealing with you're dealing with a mentally ill family, and the fact that, and you know, I hope I'm not giving this away, folks. I'm sure most of you have seen it, but you have these two dodgy old sisters that imprison their brother so he won't go off to war and end up like their father. Their father went mad, right? Coming back from the war, and they imprison him, and he basically becomes because he's cut off from society, becomes an animal man. In a sense, this is kind of playing on. What they established in Curse of the Werewolf. Right. The Oliver Reed film where the beggar is locked in the dungeon. And he becomes a and, monster. And he becomes of basically it, yeah. a monster. And this film sort of plays on that with the brother getting out of his cell, uh, getting out of, digging out of the, the room they walled him up in, and running loose and basically ripping people to shreds. He's basically an animal man. And uh, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a very disturbing film. And again, disturbing in a psychological way. Uh, because these two women who come off as rational mm-hmm. are very irrational. Yeah. It was an insane thing what they and, did to their brother. They, it's great performances by Flora Robeson and Beryl Reed. Right. Who are, I, from what I understand, reluctant to do this film, even though they've done films of this type, especially Flora, who had already been in the shuttered room, so I don't understand. Right. They, right. Had, they had a pompousness about them. Right. But I, I think they were disappointed at a lot of scenes that they shot weren't in the final film. This was originally conceived as more of an anti-war drama, and of course, Pygon, you know, released it as a horror film, and actually I think they, they, they beefed it up with some extra... Gore. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But, yes. But, it, but it works, you know. I think it does too. I think it does and too. And it was originally going to be called uh, Are, Are, Are You Dying, Young Man? Yes. So you can imagine. Yes. Now, George, how about this for disturbing? Again, played on TV, folks. I distinctly remember seeing this being played on television in a very eerie, disturbing atmosphere. Again, a very atmospheric film. Um, uh, a, A disjointed film. There's no question about that. It's a disjointed movie. As a whole, it doesn't necessarily, per se, play well. But um, as individual set pieces and as uh, individual scenes, there's some phenomenal imagery in this film and an overall eerie atmosphere. I, I think um, uh, this captures, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a British film, and of course it takes place in England, but this captures more or less uh, the horror of Salem. You know what I'm. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean yeah, by that, George. In yeah. other words, I think no, more the than period, most films. You know, yeah, it really have. You really feel like you're in a different century. You really do. Films. You really and do, and it plays on the fears of these people that these people would have had at the time, and of course, yeah. it makes them literal. In this film, there is literally a cult. There is literally a devil walking about the countryside. Um, you know, there's a whole element. And to the that. actors really pull it off. By doing an old old world English accents. Oh yeah. So this is I mean there's a lot. It's very convincing. The the, the detail, the sets, the locations, the costumes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. For me, this is one of my favorites. I mean, this is I love witch hunting films. Oh yeah. Uh, 
this is one of my favorite horror films in general. Oh I, yeah. I, well, I, you wrote extensively I go to about like, this yes. film I go to like in the more Exploitation more. Journal. Absolutely. Yeah. When we did that issue on films about witch hunting, yeah. uh, issue number four, also long out of print, um, you you wrote extensively on this film, and it doesn't date. It does. It, it surprisingly it doesn't. And uh, and I can't say enough about Linda Hayden. Yeah, she's I mean great. she, you know, and she's she, only mu- oh, she must have been seventeen. Oh yeah, you know when she made this, and you look at a, uh, I don't want to put people down today, but if you look at actors of modern times, I couldn't picture anybody today at her age pulling off something like this, like this, like she did, like she did, and also yeah. George the sensuality. Yeah, when she goes to uh, seduce the pastor. Um, it's a, it, yeah. it, 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 which by which in fact was uh, when Canon released this and Beast in the Cellar. This one, this one had a lot of editing done. That scene Keith is talking about, there was some full frontal that they had to trim. That but they had to trim. I Absolutely. believe it's all been restored. Since, Absolutely, since it has. Yeah. It has. And then of course you've also got Patrick Weimar. Yeah, doing, doing a, fun, a, a, a an absolutely phenomenal. They originally job. wanted like a. They originally wanted Cushing, but his wife had died, and then they said Lee was too expensive, and Vincent Price had already been in Witchfinder General. General. But they got Patrick Weimar, and he's great. And it unfortunately, was one of his, or it, his last film his last because film. he died right after that. And him coming right from Witchfinder General right, too, which right. makes it interesting where he. Um, Played Cromwell. Now this is another canon release here. And you, you listen, you'll hear Adolf Caesar doing the uh, voiceover here. Adolf Caesar was an African American actor who uh, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for a Soldier Story. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but you'll recognize his voice on a number of these trailers, especially from the later '70s into the early '80s. Patrick lot- O'Neill, Mary yeah. Warrenoff. Of interest, George, you might also want to point that of John Carradine. I don't think With, we have to tell you. John but Carradine interest, with no dialogue because his character has no voice. And this was shot on Long Island. Yeah. We're very proud to say on Long Island, uh, predominantly in Glencove. Uh, it gives, you get more or less a feeling that this is place, taking place in New England somewhere. Yeah. But actually it was Long Island lensed using a lot of folks from the Warhol factory. So. And nice. again, it was a film that showed up on... Uh, Channel 9's Fright Night Freak. And pretty much And they used to show it around Christmas time. Yes, they showed it around Christmas time uncut with that axe murder. It was a peachy movie with a lot of violence, but it's still pretty much uncut on TV. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, these are two films directed by Joy Hauk. Correct. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And in fact, uh, Night of Bloody Horror had a 1979 re-release during the height of the slasher. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. My poster, the poster I have for that film, has a '79 um, date on it. So it was actually re-released to cash in on um, the the slasher craze that was going on at the time. That was, of course, ignited by Halloween, and uh, it it, um, it it was also it was also one of the earliest horror films I remember on video. Utilizing right. the poster art from that 1979 poster of the decaying face, the woman's, uh, the corpse's face. Right. Um, and it was, uh, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting film. I, I actually, uh, I like Mc- his work. Joel McRaney's the star. He later yep. became a pretty big TV star on uh, yep. Major Dad. And, uh... Now this... Women in Bloody Terror, I have to confess, I've never seen this film. Neither have I. Yeah. Neither have it's, I. It's, it's elusive. It's elusive. It's elusive. I actually have the audio soundtrack for it on record. Not under that title. Wow. Yeah, not under no. that title. Um, 
But yeah, it's an this particular title, Women in Bloody Horror, is elusive. It's it's one of the more elusive titles. Where it's Night of the Strangler and Night of Bloody Horror um, yeah. received releases on video cassette right. and 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 were fairly accessible. Night of the Strangler was the I guess you can call it the third film in this kind of trilogy of of uh, exploitation murder movies that. Joy Hauk directed, and that, that's the one with Mickey Dolenz. And of interest, yeah. uh, Joy, Joy, Joy Hauk was from Louisiana, and he owned drive-ins in Louisiana, so he was basically making films for his own drive-ins. Right, and he was, uh, and, he's no longer with us, unfortunately, nope. but, like a lot of people. Right. But he was born in 1942, so he was fairly young when he was doing these movies. Absolutely. This is like 68, 69, oh, 70. Absolutely. So, I mean, he was basically in his late 20s, um... He's kind of like an early version of Earl Owensby. Yeah. Although Earl Owensby isn't anything new, he also goes back. Yeah. But then again, you know, but he is an example of a guy who financed and made his own films. Earl Owensby's money, more or less, coming from the fact that uh, he, I think he owned an amusement park, or his family owned an amusement park um, in uh, North Carolina. Wow. And with, uh, with Hugh, it was, um, uh, again, that he owned drivers. How so he Hugh, was, if we're pronouncing his name wrong, yeah. we confess. Yeah, I mean, we, we confess. It's not like you see the names pronounced. You know, anywhere. So we, we yeah. So we, so please, yeah. Yeah, 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 allow us to stumble over some of these and names. Excuse my New York accent. Yeah, both of us. Now didn't uh, now didn't this uh, Women in Bloody Horror and Night of the Strangler, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they play as a triple feature? At, yes. At times. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They yup, all three films. In fact, the poster I have is for all three films: Women in Bloody Horror, Yeah. Night of Bloody Horror. And uh, Night of the Strangler. Again, here's a great piece of Ballyhoo. Yep. I played this trailer at the Monster Ramas. Again, this always go, goes over well. People like either the, they know the films or they're bewildered. So yeah, it's nice to try to introduce. Well, of course, fantasy. it's about turning people on yeah. to this stuff for people who don't know. Yeah. And actually, George, that's what you wanted to drive in is more people who don't know, so they can have an eye-opening experience. I mean, it's I think it's a lot of fun turning people on. Right. To this, that's why we did the exploitation journal. That was designed to turn people on to these movies. That was what that was all about. Now here's another double feature trailer: Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which is Hammer's last. Uh, Mummy film. It's not really a mummy, but you know she's not wrapped in bandages. Let's put it that way. Right? They, they, uh, do they claim this to be based on the Bram Stoker yes, story? Yes, Jewel of the, of the Seven, Seven Stars. Right. Uh, again, I'm, people listening just probably know all about this film that Seth Holt started it, and he uh, he passed away, and Michael Carreras finished it. Uh, personally, it's my favorite of the I, it's my favorite of the Hammer Mummy films. Uh, when it was released here by AIP. Uh, they had to give it a PG rating, so they again they cut out uh, all the gore. So it's really got a choppy treatment, and this even worse. This, this even feature. worse, which makes so little sense because you thought maybe they could have put this out through Hallmark. Right. It would have played great with Mark of the Devil. Yeah. Here you have the Bloody Judge released under the semi ridiculous, semi ridiculous title of Night of the Blood Monster. Franco didn't like the title. Christopher Lee didn't like the title. It doesn't make sense because there is no real blood monster unless you're talking about the Bloody Judge, Christopher Lee, playing the historical Judge Jeffries. Now of interest. I saw this on TV on a Saturday morning, September 21st, 1979 at 10 a.m. Channel 9 showed Night of the Blood Monster. I remember watching it in the morning. I actually had to go and dig this date up because I remembered seeing it. I remembered it making 
an impression on me, in particular this scenes, the execution scenes, the... Um, there's no doubt about it, it's one of Christopher Lee's best roles. It's, in my opinion, one of his best acting roles. Uh, big fan of, of The it, Bloody Judge. And, and now, of course, we have a fully uncut version that's out there. And it was, uh, the, the American version was basically the TV version. It was cut to basically a PG adventure. Right. There was no, all the horror was, was pretty much cut out. Oh, yes, so. it was. All, all the so gore. The title, all the, all so the in dungeon. that sense, the title doesn't even make any more sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, this exactly. is the French film, The Blood Rose, which was released here by Allied Artists. Right. And if you remember, it was an early Allied Artist video. I don't yes. know if you remember that, oh, George, yeah, but that was highly collectible. Yeah. It was an early Allied Artist video with some cuts. There were definitely some cuts made to the film. Yeah. But uh, basically, it's one of those surgical horror films. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it kind of follows. It's kind of in the tradition of Eyes Without a Face. Um, this one is a tad more exploitive. you got Howard Vernon. Um, it was advertised here as like the first sex horror film. Yeah. Which yeah, I don't yeah. think it was. It was actually one of the first horror films to get an R rating in the United States even though it was definitely you know trimmed from its original version right absolutely um, Mondo Macabro ended up releasing yes and I highly recommend that if DVD you get a hold of it. beautiful yeah. release yeah because it's you get, uncut if you, yeah if you get a chance to, if it's you got get a the, chance. both the English and the yes. French track and yes it does yes, I, I it like does. this uh, again this was just this showed up on Channel 9 again on the Fright Night late night Saturday program a lot I guess they had an Allied Artist package because they also showed Fright, the Susan George Fright, and which I remember seeing. Yeah, which I remember seeing Fright and and is uh, I could get into that thing also scaring me too. Fright, Fright was very scary when I first saw that. The trailer for Fright, yeah, is actually on uh, Trailer Trauma Volume One. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's why it's not here. Torture Chamber of Doctor Statism. Well, actually, this is Blood Demon. This is the American. Uh, release, Hemisphere Pictures released this uh, as Blood Demon. This is known better, I guess, as Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism. Right, that's correct. Because uh, it was sold to TV as part of Hemisphere's uh, block of shock package. Right. And they were taking blood out of the title for a lot of their films. I think everything they released to TV as with blood was taken out of the title. So this became Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism. On TV, which I think is a much better title. Actually. I think I think it's definitely yeah. a much better title. I offered this at Cinefear. I have a 16 millimeter print of this, and I we did a transfer, and we offered this along with actually Night of the Blood Monster, George. If you remember, we yeah. also did the 16 millimeter of that because that had no availability. Yeah, this is whatsoever. We're back in, in so we're going way back, years, folks. Yeah. yeah, we're going back 25 years, folks. When we did this, um, well, in particular, Night of the Blood Monster. Definitely, that was yeah. that was 25 years ago when we transferred that and put that out, and that was the only available version. And we added scenes from the uncut German tape, some of the un yeah. some of the some of the torture chamber scenes we put back in it toward the end of the tape. But um, yeah, this is a, this is a particularly good film directed by Harold Reinald, um, who was married right. to Karen Dorr right. at the time, and he was a very lucky stylish, man. a very lucky man, <laughs> and a very stylish director, and yeah. he did a great job with this. And totally of course, surreal. you have, Lex, you have yeah. Lex Barker, Christopher Lee. Lex Barker was a pleasure. He's a pleasure in this film, and he was doing a lot of films in Germany. At he was this a time. big star in Germany. Big star in Germany. Yeah. He was doing the Winter Two films over there. All right, as you can see, we're, these are the Hemisphere Pictures yes. trailers that we're getting into. This yes. is a whole block of them. This is Brides of Blood, which I saw on yeah. TV, George. Again, I want to say, eleven thirty, Channel Seven on a Sunday night. What a weird time. 
to see this film, but that was where the first time I saw Brides of Blood. And I want to say around, I want to say late 80s. I want to say 87. I want to say around 1986, 87 was when I saw it. Well, I, I saw it on Channel 9. Beverly Fright, Hills? Fright Night. Fright Night also? Way before that, yes. like in the 70s. Yes, yes. And it was called, on TV, again, since they took the blood out of the titles, this was called um, Island of Living Horror on right. television. Yeah. And, uh, and on video, they released it as Brides of the Beast. Yes. Yeah? According to Jim Marina's Fright Night book... Uh, Early broadcast of this on the Fright Night program, we're talking like like '74. Got a little of the nudity slipped in uh-huh. on the TV broadcast because I guess the the censor or the TV uh, censor was a little careless. This, uh, of course, um, I think Michael Walden in the Psychotronic book said the monster looks like the cousin of the Michelin Man. Yep, I'm which sure. is not. This is just uh, outrageous fun. The yeah, the it, Filipino horror films yeah, and were unique. These Blood Island they films. were really yeah. really unique. You never you had never seen anything like them. And uh, and uh, you know again they pushed the limits with sex and violence. And they also offered you some unique monsters and something yeah. different. This was something different, folks. It gave you an opportunity to see something you hadn't seen. And before. it came. This one came out before the rating systems. So I think this this got to be released you know unrated with all this. You know, meat and potato stuff intact. Without a doubt, yeah. Uh-huh. And Hemisphere Pictures was a company uh, formed by Kane Lynn and Erwin Pizer. And uh, Sam Sherman, who later formed Independent International with, with Al Anderson, who directed this film, Brain of Blood, was he was heavily involved with Hemisphere. He was in the publicity department. And I think he, you know, gave him the suggestion to... to do more horror because the, early on Hemisphere was doing um, mostly war films and right. he said if you want to make money do horror and they did great with, with horror they did great with horror you know they sold them they played in the drive-ins and then they sold them to TV and plus uh, plus uh, Sam Sherman cut his teeth working with them he learned yes. all his tricks all the same things he would apply with Independent International for promotion he cut his teeth doing for Hemisphere and so uh, yeah uh, he came up with the ideas you see like the um the wording of these trailers, you know, all the uh, the headlines, the which makes it look like a comic book. Yeah, basically he said, comic book style. He it, said he was basically inspired by the uh, the Universal trailers. Oh, really? Yeah, really. So that I, I always you... thought these were kind of unique. I always felt they had more of a comic book way about them. Um, I, you know, I want to say something like Tales of the Crypt or yeah. Eerie oh, or something of that sort. Yeah. Well, you know. That's... Because they're certainly more exploitive than what Universal would do, you know? Yeah, um, well, what they're saying. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now, this, this was the only film that Al Adamson directed for Hemisphere. Right. Uh, now, this was called Brain of Blood in theaters. On TV, it was released as, it was shown as Creature's Revenge. And again, I remember seeing this on Channel 9 four o'clock movie and it was uh, it was on cut that's what I now yeah, you and, and me it was both a was lot of surgery about, footage I'm like yeah, wow I was is... just about to bring that up George this film was shocking yeah. because it was definitely shown on cut on TV the brain transplant uh, the whole thing was yeah. there my eyes were popping out of my, my head <laughs> I had never I, I, to, you know and then also the spilling of the battery acid yeah on John Bloom's face which when they, we met when we, we did meet Al Adamson and got to interview him we were talking about that scene in particular uh, we told him that, that, that those, scene was damaging that he was doing the flashbacks yes. and that that flashback was damaging it was because John Bloom is basically playing a mentally retarded adult kind of like what he did in Incredible 2 at Transplant right and how he becomes this looking like that right. is these these bullies uh, these like 
hick bullies basically pour battery acid on his on face. his face and because he's it's, playing with his toy and he wanders into them, exactly, yeah, and they just decide they just they break his toy. This is stuff he's a that big thug, he hits either them. damages or molds the minds of youngsters. Oh, it does because you can't believe the cruelty. It was a senseless exactly, scene and yeah. it was incredibly cruel. So yeah, oh, absolutely. But it was necessary to show you how he. Got oh, it that was. Way. It was yeah. necessary to show you how he got that way. Ah. And uh, Brain of Blood is also kind of like a follow-up to Dracula vs. Frankenstein because it's got a lot of the same cast. Yes, it does. And the yes. only other, other film with Xandor Vorkov that I yes. think. Yes. Now, Vampire People is uh, a re-release, retitling of um, Curse of the Vampires, which Hemisphere released originally in 1966 with the Texan uh, 60s Black Hat. Yes. Which is actually yeah. a damn good film. Now That Black Cat film is oh, actually yeah, damn yeah. good. And this was uh, directed by Gerardo de Leon, who we all know um, from having been involved with the um, uh, just the Blood Island films. Uh, this also had Ronald uh, Ronald Remy playing the vampire, and of course he was Dr. Walker in um, Beast Blood. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, Mad Doctor Mad Blood Dr. Island. Blood, yes, yeah. Mad Doctor Blood Island. Which we'll see. Yes. So this um, one, this goes from color to tints. Again, I, I this was a movie I remember watching late at night on Channel 9's Fright Night on a Saturday alone, and it, it was creepy. You know, this is. I, I there's a lot. Of, it's it's an unusual film. It's uh, also George. You might remember there's a hunchback assistant with a with particularly nasty teeth. Yeah, and, and the was, picture of him biting. De uh, again, this goes back to the Dennis Gifford book. You know, he always had that picture of, of that hunchback assistant biting into the girl's neck. And it isn't just a, a, With a regular chunk out bite, of her neck. it's yeah. a chunk out yeah. of the neck. It's a brutal, it's a, it's a gash. And it was an ugly photo. When you saw this before you saw these films, it just increased your desire to find these movies. And by the way, that re-release re as Vampire People played under Brain of Blood as a double feature. All these Hemisphere pictures were double featured with, you know... Either one of their own productions or something that they had picked up. Okay, and this is Curse of the Vampires, and again, this is the same director um, uh, as the as the. Uh, uh, that so let me correct myself. I called I said Vampire People was a re-release of Curse of the Vampires. I meant it was a re-release of the Blood Drinkers. Yes, exactly. This is right. That's what, right, yes. right, 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 right. Sorry, right. this is Curse that's of okay. the Vampires. That's okay. That's okay. This is Curse yeah. of the Vampires. And you know, George, my first experience with these actually was for, through Sinister Cinema. He was the first guy, my memory is that he was the first guy who had transferred prints of these and released them. That yes. was my memories of catching up with both Vampire People and Curse of the Vampires. Because I think Curse of the Vampires had a British video release. I remember, I remember that that kind of, um, that the British had put it out on video, but, um, um... And that was the title. Right, Creatures of Evil, yeah. exactly, yes, thank you. Again, uh... This is Eddie Garcia, who yep. is a big actor in the Philippines. I believe he's, he's still with us. Yeah. Uh, up there in age, but I believe until recently he was working. Yep. And look at, I love these claims. Filmed at the real tombs of horror. What the hell is the real tombs of horror? There, are, well, there is no real tombs of horror. You know, this, it's, this, it's but, all Ballyhoo that works. Oh, it's phenomenal Ballyhoo. It's just great. It's just great. And again, it's very comic book. Very, very, very comic book. Terrifying dungeon of doom. Vampires always sell. Too. Vampire movies, they, they, they never really seem to fall out. 
You know, no. they're, they're, they're always they're, they're always something you could return to. You could always turn a dollar over with a vampire movie. So, you know. This was a disturbing movie because it's a family torn apart yeah, by It's a family torn yeah. apart by vampirism. Starts with I think I think the the mother right she yeah. transfers it to the son yeah and yeah it's 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 tragic it's actually very very tragic it's a family falling apart I have to confess these hemisphere both these vampire and blood islands things I always pull out every you know at least once a year oh yeah always, you always go back yeah. to them you always go back to them absolutely oh guess what happened to Count Dracula. Now, this was directed by Lawrence Merrick. Yes. Who had also directed the documentary on Charles Manson called Manson, Manson yeah. which had been nominated for an Academy Award of interest. Yes. Yes. It, it, and it, he was murdered. Yes, he was. By, 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 by I, I, the, one of the stories I heard was by one of his film students. I don't know. That, yeah, yeah, well, the, well, you hear different stories. Some say a stalker, some say a film student. Now, this it could film, have, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say it could have been, who yeah, knows, it could well, have who been. Who knows, but he's, he's gone now. Let's put it yeah, this is going back to the, the late 70s, so he's been gone a long time. This film, this was a, a GP-rated film, but there, there have been reports that there was a, a uh, porn versions, or there was a porn version. It started out as a gay porn. Well, there's because uh, there's titles Dracula and the and the boys. Right. There's actually two titles: Dracula and the Boys and Drac. Does Dracula really suck? Right. So the rumors are that there was a straight porn version and a, and a gay, gay porn, porn version. version. Initially, they said it started out as a gay porn version, and certainly the actor camps it up. Yeah. He plays it very. He plays the the count very effeminate. So there's the so I, I totally believe I totally buy into it that it was initially uh, made for the for the sex market and then they decided to get a little more revenue out of it and ultimately try to release it basically as a horror film. Yeah. And you know and uh, you know pull out of it whatever they could pull out of it. The absurd element is there. It plays more like something from the world of porn. It does. Then it does. It's very the production values are very low. Oh yeah. And um, oh no doubt about it. Des Roberts is. Is pretty terrible as 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 Count uh, whatever the hell they call him. You know, Lawrence Merrick also gave us the Black Angels. Yes. Uh, as well as this film, and of course Manson. Amazingly, this got on the cover of Famous Monsters of, of Filmland. It's Isn't probably that the most. Yeah. Uh huh. You know. Uh huh. It's probably the most obscure film to show up on the cover of that magazine. Huh. Now this is. But they were good for having covers and pictures of stuff that was quite rare. That's true. And I think yeah. about The Body Snatcher, that Mexican film that they had the picture of the monster from. But this was on the cover. So yes. Very, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now this is... Uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula, which I first saw on the Video Gems label. These were big box videos that were released in the very early 80s. Um, I, 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 I rented this... It was one of the first... One of... The very first videotape I ever rented was actually uh, Doris Wishman's The Amazing Transplant. No, but then following that up yeah. was this, no, Andy I rented Warhol's those, Dracula. Those two. I remember yep. renting them at the Mon Pa video store. And I watched Frankenstein twice in one rental because it was like... Because you were blown yeah. out of your mind. Yeah. You couldn't believe yeah. what you were seeing. These were released by Video Gems, uh, big box videos, and utilizing the original poster art. So, you know, your eye went right to this if you stepped into a video store. And again, this was pictures and video from Green Acres. Long gone. They were closed by 1985. They were one of the first to kind of jump out as more of the video stores sprung up. Ultimately, Royal Video 
coming to the Green Acres Mall area, and I kind of, I guess, chased them out. But they carried those two videos, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and Andy Warhol's Dracula. Yeah. Bearing in mind that I had already seen Andy Warhol's Frankenstein in the movies. Now, I'm going to explain that. I'll talk to that when we get to that trailer. Well, this is the original Bryanston trailer, and this is narrated by uh, Ernie Anderson, who was a famous voiceover artist. He was also the voice of ABC. He also does Frankenstein. You'll recognize his voice. Uh-huh. Because these were, re these were re-released a few times under different titles. Oh, yeah? Like oh, yeah. Young Dracula. Young Dracula. That's the poster I had yeah. before. Uh-huh. Now, and this now, is the original Bryanston, and uh, yep. on the first trailer trauma, there's a trailer for the 80s 3D re-release, which Keith is going to talk about right now. Right. I, yeah. I happened to see this at the Sunrise Cinemas, which were formerly the Sunrise Drive-In, where I had seen Dawn of the Dead and Meek Cleaver Massacre, and then they turned it into a sixplex, and one of the films they played or re-released in 1982 was the 3D re-release of Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. I remember I went with my girlfriend at the time to see the movie, and she went to Valley Stream High School. And I have to say that more than half of Valley Stream High School was in that cinema to see this movie. This movie sold out, if you can believe that, folks. It sold out in its re-release in 1982. More than half those kids were from the Valley Stream High School, and most of them had known the film from having seen the 1978 re-release. So they couldn't wait to see it again. This was like, this was a, 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 a joy, an absolute joy, uh, which shows you the film had cult status at that point. The 3D was phenomenal, and uh, you, I had never seen anything like it. So the fact is, I got to see this for the first time theatrically, and it really made a huge difference. A huge difference. What a great movie. And that was the X-rated version. Was When you saw it, was it still the uncut version? It was uncut, yeah. yes, absolutely. There were, there were cuts. Both, of, both those films were re-released in different you know, R-rated versions. Yes, they were, up. especially uh, in the late 70s. Yes. They had been released in R-rated versions. But no, that was the X-rated version. That had everything in Not it. Not that it had anything hardcore, but then again, X back then meant something different. Yeah, it meant you know? something different. It just meant covered, it, was, it was more heavier extreme, than an R. It covered yeah. extreme violence yeah. because... Clockwork Orange, um, The Wild Bunch, exactly. Uh, Midnight Cowboy all had X ratings. Absolutely. So, yeah, it meant something different. Absolutely. You're completely different. Now, here's that was the embalmer, yeah. uh, which, uh, which, I don't know, did you want to call that an early? Oh, here it is. It's back. Uh, do you yeah. want to call it an early um, uh, Giallo, in a sense? Because, yeah. again, you have a mask killer. Um, he's in the, Venice, right? He's yeah, he's a, in Venice. He's wearing a skull mask. It kind of plays more like the Edgar. It's an Italian yeah, film. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. more right. Let's actually say that. Yeah. It's more almost like a crimi. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, George, Wallace. I, I, I take that completely. You're right. Yeah. It plays much more like a crimi, which ultimately that genre would evolve into the giallo. But uh, this plays much more like a crimi. The trailer is better than the film. The film itself has long moments of tedium in it. I agree, yeah. but but the But the trailer, these sequences are, are worth it, are worth it. You know, are, are worth, you know, sitting through it at least once. At least once. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a film you re, you revisit a lot, but... Um, I'll have to again one of these Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll it be forced to It actually played well. uh, with Michael Reeves' uh, The Sheebies. Sheebies, yeah. yes. Now, this is Deathmaster. This is kind of considered the... Uh, the unofficial third Yorga film, even though it was, this was Robert Corey shot this in between Count Yorga, Vampire, and the return of Count Yorga. Now this was, uh, Yorga, uh, excuse me, uh, Robert Corey had something to do with the production of this. He was one of the producers on this. And from what I understand, 
because it was right after Count Yorga. That film's producer, My Michael McReady, wasn't too happy with uh, Corey that kind of went off and did his own thing. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, but I, I guess they... I was going to mention... I, yeah, but I'm, they did return to Count Yorga after it, so I guess they, they you know, they let bygones be bygones. Uh, Corey, of course, was under contract at AIP, but this wasn't one of his AIP uh, contract films. This was produced independently, and then they released it. Actually, it was released in 1972, but it was shot in late 70s. So, as you can see, it's a real hippie... Uh, definitely fits the AIP drive-in uh, films. It's got bikers and hippies, and it's... You can relate him to, like, a, a Manson cult leader, but he's a vampire. So by 72, this, this even by 72, this was a little dated. You know, it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned Michael McCready because he was the son of actor George McCready. Yeah. And uh, uh, George McCready that was, was uh, very good at playing villains. He, oh, yeah. He made, he made really, really good villains. Great character actor. Yeah, and I think that. a lot about, you know, Stanley Kubrick's Path to Glory. And uh, he was incredible. Yeah. You know, he played some really interesting I, this is bad guys. This is another film I like a lot. Oh, yeah. He's using the this same... This was always a favorite of yours, George. Yeah. You referenced this quite a bit. I actually wrote the liner notes for the... Uh, Retro media is a DVD, DVD release, yes, so that did. goes to show you. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of partial like to this. Yeah, oh yeah. But I, I, I'm also partial to the Count Yorga film. Mm -hmm. So let's let's leave it at that. Now here we go. The thing with two, we were talking about the two-headed monster. This is the thing with two heads. You know that's Jerry Butler, the singer, as the prison guard. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. All right. Now, these effects are great. They are. I think Dan Strepik, who was involved with uh, the Planet of the Apes films, did that Ray Milland head, and Rick Baker uh, worked on this film too. I think he did the. There's a two-headed gorilla. Yes, he did. That was his. I mean, that was his. Costume. You know. Yes. This is like a totally hokey. Uh, idea, but it, it's a fun movie. Even though and look, this, at, look this, at the type of genres they bring together. Yeah. To There's a whole scene with the motorcycle, which is touching on the whole motorcycle genre, the car crash genre, the whole. You know what? I, you know what I'm saying? The yeah. uh, 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 the whole action film thing. Uh, they 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 bring a lot together. You got the sci-fi element, the horror element, and you've also got the action film element. Yeah, definitely. And it was from Lee Frost uh, directing in West Bishop. And and Raymond Lamb was such a pleasure. Yeah. He was such a... He's, he's always a pleasure to watch. Now, now here we go. This is an, uh, this is a, one of the later Edgar Wallace... I say later because it's in color. So right. Also is, directed by Alfred Vora, yeah. who, who did The Gorilla Gang. Now, this is an interesting film in that this was, again, one of the early uh, New World Pictures... Roger Corman's New World Pictures releases. He was looking for product. Uh, he he owned, I, he was running the company with Larry Wilner at the time, and Sam Sherman from Independent International picked this film up, and he sold it to Corman for a theatrical release for um, to play on a double bill with uh, the um, the Beast of the Yellow, Yellow Knight, Knight, which was a Philip, another Knight. Filipino right. horror movie with John right. Ashley. Yes, and I think Corman, I think this was originally sold as like the the blue hand and 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 Corman added supposedly added the the creature part to the title. And what did Sh Sam Sherman hold on to the TV rights for this? He held well. Well, he actually sold the TV rights to AIP. Okay. And apparently he had video rights. Keith and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, a company in the eighties uh, 
illegally released this. Which is where I saw it. Yeah, they're supposed to be it was a mafia-owned company, from what we're told. Right. Uh, what, whatever the case was, an illegal release. And, and Sherman, I guess, uh, I don't know if he was able to stop it or went after them, but uh, he didn't release it until years later when he added um, scenes to... Uh, he added gore scenes that were shot in New Jersey in the 1980s and and re-released it as the bloody uh, the bloody dead the bloody dead right. video and right. it came out it came out on DVD yep it did have a video release but much much later right and I love how that trailer uh, they call Klaus Kinski the new horror star and they spell his name wrong with a Y yeah, yeah. I know it's a Y now this is another uh, I, I saw this again not too long ago this is an interesting this is an amicus film and it's actually damn good it's, I, it I, I really want to yeah. say it's, it's a film yeah. that, that bears repeated viewings it's, it's actually a damn good film but it was a film that eluded me. Yeah. I caught it later in the game. This it was, was not, not one of my I early I did too. Books. I probably didn't see it until right. later. Right, right. Uh, it's Robert Block writing the story. Freddie Francis uh, directed. He did a lot of horror films for Amicus and Hammer. But uh-huh. um, very, very weird. Again, Patrick Weimark. This is, I think this is his best performance. Uh-huh. Because he really holds this film together well. He's, yeah, he's he the does. inspector and he's, you know. Yes, he does. But the whole concept of these little, uh, it's almost like uh, a, a, a plot you'd see in a much, in an 80s film, like like something like Stuart Gordon's Dolls or something. Right. But this whole thing about the, uh, these little, you know, uh, dolls made up to these people that are being murdered, it's very, very creepy. It is. Yeah, yeah it really, really is. Again, this is this was released here by Paramount and... Uh, it, it's, 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 you know, it's showing up on cable TV every once in a while. Unfortunately, it's one of those scope films that every time you see it on TV, it's a pan and scan. Right. So you really don't really get to appreciate it. Right, right. Film. You're really not and getting was, the depth of the picture. Right. It's, it was never released on VHS. It's never been released on um, DVD or Blu-ray. Hopefully, we'll get to see it in scope. I don't even know if there are any 35 millimeters prints out there to screen. Right. But, right. Right. So that was wild. Very good film. Very engaging film. Yeah, Patrick Weimark, if you think about it, he's kind of an unsung horror star because he did a lot of these types of films, but he's not really well known, you know, with no. the horror community. No. And he was great in uh, Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Oh, phenomenal in that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You will. Funny, he always looked older than he was. He yeah. wasn't a particularly old man. Yeah, we won't get into that. When I heard his age, I'm like, man, I'm... I look a lot younger than when I heard how old he was when he died. I'm like, I know, you know, it was yeah, stunning. Like, yeah, it was absolutely stunning because he looked much older than that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. This is Tales That Witness Madness, which is uh, again, this is directed by Freddie Francis. This is not an Amicus film. He directed this for World Film Services, who also released uh, or produced The Creeping Flesh. And this is uh, this is often mistaken for an Amicus film. Because of the multi... Because um, it's, yeah, it's got the stories. it's an anthology. Yeah, it's an anthology. It's got an interesting cast. I would say that the stories are kind of weak. Uh, especially that there's one where a guy brings a tree in this house. And, uh, you know, he treats it... He's married to Joan Collins and he treats the... Here it is. The know. tree. Yeah. Better than... It's got than... some surreal, you know... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Got surreal imagery in it. You're right. Yeah. The stories are weak. Story's For whatever weak. reason, the stories just don't. They're just not as engaging. Well, there's a problem with anthology films anyway because you're just getting used to one story. 
then you go to another. Meanwhile, yeah. you just got it. You know, it, it's 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 sort of a problematic thing for motion pictures. It it doesn't always work, and this is one case yeah, where it, it doesn't really, really doesn't work. work the time well. traveling bicycle, right? It's also got Kim Novak, which was I think this was the first or one of the last films she did for a long time, right? And uh, originally they were going to have uh, Rita Hayworth in the role before she passed away and I think she she was on the set in film scenes but then either got ill or disappeared and then they just replaced her with uh, Kim Novak oh, Jack cool. Hawkins uh, this was one of the films he lost his vo- voice to throat cancer so he's he was redubbed by Charles Gray right right. he had larynx cancer yeah. and yes he had and to be he, redubbed he yep. was hoping to, to you know get it an operation but then he ended up passing away actually the year the film was released right Kiss and Kill is the fourth yep. Fu Manchu film uh, produced by Harry Allen Towers. This one's directed by Jess Franco. And... Blood of Fu Manchu. Yeah, obviously in the United States, uh, the name of Fu Manchu didn't have much uh, merit anymore because they releasing this as Kiss and Kill. Right. You know. Which makes it sound more like espionage. Which yeah. Of which espionage is going on, it's, it's the basis of what Fu Manchu was doing. Yeah. But they're making, they're emphasizing that far more. You know, they're, emphas- they're definitely emphasizing that far more with a title like Kiss and Kill. Absolutely. Yeah, I, obviously, yeah, the, the Fu Manchu series didn't, uh, I, I, a lot of people think that, that Franco drove this series into the ground. This one's not bad. I actually bad. think this yeah. is quite good. It's a lot better I, I than think, Castle of Fu Manchu. I think they recycle a lot of the imagery in Castle of Fu Manchu. I think Castle of Fu Manchu was more impoverished than that was. Oh, I think Blood of Fu Manchu was actually quite decent. Yeah. It's actually quite a decent film. Here was a film I had wanted to see for years. And it was not... I, I, but yet, I'm, I'm trying to remember, did this have any TV play? Yes, it played That's on the... That's what U- I'm wondering. It, I, yeah, absolutely. You know where uh, this played? We played on the USA Network in the 80s. Ah, okay. And that okay. was the first time, because like, a lot of these AIP movies were on different New York channels and on the CBS Late Movie... A lot of them premiered on the CBS Late Movie. I don't think this one. I think because it was more adult, maybe they. Oh, it's definitely more adult. It's a it's a film of 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 sexual, you know, strong strong sexual imagery for the time. Right. For the time, again, like I said, similar to Dorian Gray, I I I don't think it holds up. No. Like it probably initially had when it first when it first well, opened. Well, it didn't because this was a big bomb for AIP. Really? This was shot in West Germany and they put a lot into this. Well, look at the cast. You've Actually, got John yeah, Houston. I think it was going to be one of those road... Sh- they wanted to be one of those roadshow pictures. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a big big deal that it was a flop. It was, right. you know... Uh, Cy Enfield was brought in to direct but then um, he went AWOL when it came to directing the more uh, wild scenes, let's right. say. So... Corman, Roger Corman came in to direct, to direct those. Yeah, uh, put those. Originally, in. Gordon Hessler, the director, was uh, brought in to produce this. Uh, Gordon Hessler, who's again no longer with us, I, I, I was lucky enough to get the chance to interview him. Very nice man. I remember him talking to me about this film. He said he was brought in to produce it, but he kind of got pushed out because whoever was, uh, you know, working with AIP in in, in Europe. Pushed him out because they wanted they wanted somebody um, that was in house, I guess. So as a consolation, they offered him the oblong box, which he was happy about because this film bombed. Right. And the oblong box made a lot of money. So and that that led to uh, him doing three more films for them. Right. 
But this is, yeah, this is this is kind of known as one of those uh, notorious stinkers for AIP. Right. Again, this was one of those films I had longed to see for years yeah. because they'd have pictures from it in the books, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the books on horror films that were coming out in the 70s. And, and they always had that picture of John Huston. Right. And right. I, it was one of those movies I always wanted to see. It was something I always was, you know, really wanted to see. <laughs> it's 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 you can see it's got great production value. Oh, it sure it's does. One of those films you want to. I think the problem too is Kier Dulay, who's a really good actor. He's just too likable as the side. I think that's the problem. You know, and I think that's the problem. Sometimes you might want to play that as more of a rogue. You know, and I and I think yeah. that that's part of the problem. He's he's he he also has a face that's a little too innocent too. Yeah. I, I just don't think it was even good physical casting. You know. Now now this is this is probably my my pride uh, and joy pride and joy on this. This is a trailer for... This is... I've never seen this trailer. I... I this is Computer Killers. I found this 35mm trailer, which I was uh, lucky enough to purchase. Because um, I've never seen it anywhere. It's, it's hard to find this movie, better known as Horror Hospital, advertised as Computer Killers. But here's a trailer for it. And there's... The guy narrating it sounds a hell of a lot like Rod Serling, so... I don't know if it's... Was... He does. Yeah. He really, really does. And I guess it could be. You can't find anything on it. You can't find There's been no on no it. direct I, connection, but... If it's not him, he's it's, he's doing a good imitation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Now, this is a Richard Gordon production. Again, uh, if anybody knows me, this is one of my personal favorites. Yeah, well, Richard yeah. Gordon delighted talking to us yeah. about this film. He he was he's, he's very proud of this film. He really, really was. He enjoyed it. We, we did a very big interview with Richard Gordon for our Bloody British special, which was a double issue. It was uh, volume two, numbers two and three, and it's still in print. There are still some copies of that left. But Richard Gordon expounded upon this film. So I'm very proud of this. Very, and he actually, very happy with uh, Robin this. Asquith, the star there on the, on the left, he was at a film festival in England, and Richard Gordon was going over there. And I was in contact a few times with Richard going through the years, and I asked him if he if I gave him a, you know an eight by ten if he could get Robin Asquith to sign it for me. And he said, "Sure, he'll do anything for me." So, thanks to Richard Gordon, I got a, I got an I got a nice autograph. Yeah. So that's the kind of guy he was. he was. Yeah, really he was nice. very yeah. good to both of us, George. Yeah. He was very he was very very nice. He was um he was a pleasure to interview, and uh, he was very encouraging. He got the bloody ape. Screened at the Manchester Horror and Science Fiction Festival. Yep. And uh, when we finished it in 97, so I want to say 97, yeah, it had to be 97. He got it screened there, and they only screened sections from films. So I think they only played 20 minutes of the film. Um, but uh, he arranged for that to happen for us, which was a phenomenal thing. He was always very good to me. He was always very good. I, I really don't yeah. have anything bad to say about him. He was meticulous. He was one of those meticulous type of guys. He was very uh, scrutinizing. I remember when we did our interviews, you know, he always wanted to go over the information. He wanted to correct yeah, things. He was and a stuff. perfectionist. Yeah, he was a perfectionist. He was. I he wish was. I had asked him more about this uh, the film's distribution while he was alive because, as you can see by the end, this was um, released through. It was presented by Hallmark, you know, the Mark of the Devil Hallmark. And distributed to AIP, right? And it, I just noticed here the PG rating, so I guess it was it was it had to have been trimmed. One would think. I've never seen one a, would think a PG because version. that had that had nudity wow. and violence and quite a bit of it. Yeah. Now you know this is interesting. I don't think I've ever actually seen this. I film. have. It's uh, and yeah. Could you give me feedback on this? It's a drama. It's people have compared it to Clockwork Orange because um, Christopher Walken is playing a soldier. 
an American soldier and he's kind of hostile and has violent violent where he like goes into a party and, and he has a fight with his an argument with his girlfriend and gets into a fight with somebody so to make a long story short he's a soldier with a temper and they put him in this kind of institute to do experiments like mind experiments to, to fix that and it, you know it's more of a of a drama Ron, uh, Ronnie Cox he plays a, a, another inmate that's you know, got problems because he's he was a rapist. Um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a basically a drama with some science fiction elements because they do they do try to do brain experiments, as you can see. Um, it's not a bad film. It's very talky. You know, it, it kind of plays out like a stage play. Right. But you can see this was released by Cinerama, and they they're they're hyping it as kind of a science fiction thriller, which is more like a drama with with science fiction elements. One thing, this is this is actually considered Christopher Walken's first starring role. Wow. And he, he does di- give a, a pretty intense performance. Right. And she does show star power, even though it took him years to, you know, be a household name. Right. So, right. I guess it's definitely worth catching up with if right. you haven't seen it. Right. You know. He has more brain Here we go, more my brain, brain stuff. This is Brainstorm from 1965. This is uh, with a uh, very, very interesting cast because you've got Jeffrey Hunter... Uh, Dana Andrews. It was directed by William Conrad. Yes, who directed a few films for Warner Brothers. Uh, Two on a gu- Guillotine was one of them. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. My Blood Runs Cold. And that Two on a Guillotine had uh, Cesar Romero, basically yeah. in a role that should have had Vincent Price. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Very interesting. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that William Conrad directed that, George. Very good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. William Conrad was famous on TV for playing... Um, uh, Cannon. Was Cannon. Yeah. And later, Jake and the Fat Man. But he also did cartoon voices. Yeah, this is not a bad film. It's not, again, it's not really science fiction. It's a thriller. Right. And then this film, uh, we were just talking about Gordon Hessler. This is his first film as a director after he had come off uh, the Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock show. And of interest, he's got Gary Merrill in the cast. And Gary Merrill had been married to Betty Davis. Yeah. And actually, they divorced and they in did 1960. A few together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is this is actually a very interesting film, also known as Catacombs. Catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. That was the title. That's basically the title on the British print, the That's American the British release. Right. It's the yeah. woman who wouldn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which the poster has a, a, a skeleton in it. Is it a skeleton in a dress? Yeah, with had, a leggy skeleton. A leggy. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well, she's a skeleton from somewhere up, and the legs are right. Right, human. But that yes. was a Warner Brothers uh, double feature. Yes. And let's now, this was another Jessica one that scared that. the hell me out of me. I saw this on television. Me too. It's very morbid. In prime time. I remember <laughs> it was... In prime time, you bet. I remember this specifically. It was 1976. I was in grade school. And I remember this was going to be on... I guess it had already been on TV. Because this was a Friday night. And this is like back when all the kids would talk about a horror movie on TV. So I remember the kids talking about this. I remember one kid telling me, oh, don't watch that. Don't, like, I'm going to be scared. Right. And I, we watched it with the family. It was like the Friday, ABC Friday yes, night movie. Correct. That's what we I watched saw. It, and I was definitely scared. It the was whole, scary. And, I mean, the whole lead up to that, you know, It's morbid. Ending. And, again, it's a psychological film because you're not quite sure if she's already had a breakdown. You're not quite sure if she's just insane. Falling, you know, having yeah. another breakdown, or is something supernatural it's, it's really like happening? the 70s version of Carnival of Souls. Yes, it is. Basically. That's a great analogy. I yeah. like that, George. I'm going to give it that. I yeah. agree with you. And Zora Lambert, 
does a really, really good job in this film, and she was famous on TV Goya, for doing the oh Goya, Goya. Go, Goya, oh Boya, yeah. Goya bean commercials. Yeah. That was what we knew her for, but the interesting thing about it is she was an actress on Broadway, and she had many Tony Award yeah. nominations. Yeah. So this was a, a, a very legitimate, and, very serious yeah. actress. And her um, acting is kind of abstract in this. Oh, it it's, is. It's not, oh, it is. It's, it's, it's an offbeat it's, performance. Yes, it is. And it's believable. It's earthy. It's earthy. It's yeah. earthy. It's method. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's believable. It's really believable. Oh, yeah. I thought she was really good in this, and I thought this was an extremely disturbing and film. Apparently, an extremely disturbing film, Paramount. Right? Yeah, like, Paramount this released out. this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my around God. Halloween time again. It was a you know big studio release, and uh, and it like like I said, it was sold to ABC, shown on prime time a few times. It was a big deal. It all uh, looks like they had mastoid surgery, which was which was surgery that was actually done in the ear. It was something that yeah you know, they used to do for infections now, back in the late thirties, early forties. This this film has taken on a life of uh, its own as far as being a cult time because a lot of younger people who didn't see it back when we saw it or you know fascinated by this film, I see it come you, up you, a lot. Really, you see it comes up. Yeah, I think the, I think it's one it? of those. Okay. Yeah, whereas a lot of films from this period, I you know, Dissipate. people from a younger generation are not really you know taking a hold of. So this this is. This is definitely an original. This yeah. is, uh, oh yeah, we can set it apart. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very, very. Dis like I said, it's just a very, very disturbing movie with very, very disturbing imagery. And it, you know? it's, 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 haunting. It's, it's uh, you know, it's definitely a take on vampirism. Oh sure. You know, it's vampirism, oh, yeah. ghosts, but but is it in her head? Yeah. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, because she's a mentally unbalanced woman. That's what makes it and so rated GP. So PG rated films could definitely still get away have, with uh, a lot. Yeah, I'm sure could. And, Ah, uh, here we go, Bird Eye Gordon, and uh, this was originally released as The Witching on the Paragon Video. Well, yeah. Well, what happened was this: this is a PG-rated film that Cinerama released, right? And Paragon put it out on tape in the '80s, and they added these like orgy scenes with nudity and stuff. Right. And then they they retitled The Witching, and I I, I think it's pretty hard to, to see this in its original version now. Bert I. Gordon said uh, in his book that uh, when he went to hire um, Orson Welles for this, that uh, his his secretary, or I guess it was his secretary, told him over the phone that he only worked from 10 in the morning to like 4 in the afternoon, and that Bert I. Gordon was you know, really kind of like depressed about that, thinking, oh, this is going to be... So what he did was he set up his uh, dressing room refrigerator, I guess, with all kinds of exotic foods and... <laughs> Champagne and whatnot, and after that, like uh, Orson Welles was totally, uh, you know, willing to do. Yeah, he like shook his hand and said, "Hey, yep. ignore what my uh, secretary said. I'm, right. you know, right, you right, got right, me. right." He, he suddenly became very pliable, and you could yeah. do that. You could do that with Orson Welles because he was he was known as being very well. That was what when he was going to be in Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, he was being brought on with the concept that there was going to be food there, that there was going to be a number one chef cooking him meat. Something you could do with. Orson and he Welles. did do his share of exploitation movies. So you got to wonder. Oh yeah. And John Candy did a, a great spoof of him being complicated on SCTV. During a Liberace Christmas special. Uh -huh, so. Right, correct, correct. Now this is uh, Night of the Eagle. This is the British trailer for Burn Witch Burn. Yes. Uh, th the reason why this is, you know, put on here, 
uh, specifically is because um, I don't think that the, um, the this British trailer is, is too widely available. It came out on Blu-ray, but they only have the AIP trailer. Now, this is a film that AIP altered as far as they had a uh, a prologue narrated by the great Paul Fries, and of course they changed the title. But this is considered one of the best of its type. And you know that the um, it's a better film to see when you're an adult. Definitely, because as a kid, it didn't just, work for me as a kid. Yeah. Didn't work for me as a kid because so much of what they were getting at was over my head. Yeah. Once you get older and you have a chance to see this, it's it it, it is a damn good film. There's no question about it. There is a, it, it's a damn good film. But again, best appreciated uh, when you're out of kiddie mode. You know. Yeah. Written by Richard Matheson. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's an intelligent script. It's very well written. Good story. And the story Conjure Wife was shot as one of the uh, Inner Sanctum films. That's correct. Very differently, though. Weird Woman. Yeah, with Lon Weird Woman yeah. with Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it is coming from that same story. Yeah. The sequence with the eagle attack was always very impressive and and very reminiscent it, would, it reminded you of the, the imagery in this is very similar to the imagery in the movie Night of the Demons right. the, the Jacques Turner film which was also altered and changed yes the title absolutely change. well yep. you, you could picture I mean if this film was released as Night of the Eagle in the United States they'd probably think it was a war film or a yep you know that's you know I guess AIP had the right idea when they Changes to burn which burn yeah. because that's very yeah. specific. I think it's a better time. I think it's a much better time. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree with yeah. you. I agree with you. And not just for exploitive reasons, I mean just for being more honest no, it's just... with the subject matter. Now here's uh, more obsession with occultism in the 1970s. This is uh, The Brotherhood of Satan. Yep. Now this is one of three films that the actors L.Q. Jones and... Um, and uh, Alvy Moore, right. who's best known for being on Green Acres, they produced together. The other one being, uh, the first one being The Witchmaker, and then later on they did uh, A Boy and His Dog, which uh, L.Q. Jones directed too. Correct. This was another, uh, again, Strother Martin, who usually didn't do a lot of horror films. He was basically known as a, as a Western action actor. He, he, he was in um, Cool Hand Luke. But he gives a good over-the-top performance in here. He's a doctor, you know, pretending not to, you know, be associated with these uh, this coven of witches. And if you notice, all the all the witches in this are elderly, and they want to aspire to put their souls in the right. bodies of, of young kids, of younger people. And exactly. it kind of, you know, again, right. this you could tell this was definitely inspired by the success of Rosemary's Baby yep. with the same thing with the elderly coven right again this is a film that we saw this was on TV in New York this played on both Channel 5 and Channel 9 yep. at different times yes. but this was on TV all the time yes it was usually a Sunday afternoon another Sunday afternoon favorite but this is a scope film um, so when you watch it on TV it was really you know everything looked awkward Yes. Because it's one of those scope films where they really utilize the Where they the utilize the yeah. scope, where they really took full yeah. advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Very creepy. Oh, it is a very yeah. creepy movie. 
Uh, it came out on video. I do remember the video. The the video was uh, uh, readily available. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually, um, I don't remember if I caught it on TV or video first. I think it was video. I think I was able to no, catch it. No, this one I definitely catch saw on TV. Video. But yes, yeah, it had on, TV show. Yeah. That I do recall, As a kid, Joe. yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yep, I do recall yeah. them being on TV. Yep. And this was released by Columbia Pictures. So again, there's a, a studio behind this. It's a Rosemary's Baby thing. Rosemary's Baby was a big hit, so the studios were like, you know, latching onto that whole occult with them, too. And again, it's a PG rated film with some, you know, pretty intense violence. Yeah, it is. It just shows you the times. Right. You know, the early 70s. What you could get away with. You know, what you what you could get away with, which. Now, here's Beware of the Brethren. Which, which is, we had only seen cut for so many years. I know yeah. even the Monterey video. The big box Monterey video that had come out, which was with really the first time I ever saw this film, yeah. was heavily cut. Yeah. So, you know, getting an uncut copy of this was, Even, was, uh, was difficult. Even it was released on DVD a few years ago and it was still cut. It's still cut. So you have to, I guess you got to see it under the British title, The Fiend. Right. This is, again, Robert Hoffa Davis uh, directing. This is Tony Beckley in the lead, who was later in... Um, he Knows You're Alone? No, uh... One of the slasher films. Uh, when a stranger calls. When a stranger calls. And yes. you know, again, he's, he, he was yes. good at playing psychotic characters. Yes, he's phenomenal yeah. in that. He's a character he's, actor. One, a really good character actor. Yes, uh, he's phenomenal in that. Actually, he's great when, when did, a stranger calls. That, yeah. Yes, I remember. I saw that theatrically. That I remember. When we did the exploitation journal, I was thinking of writing an article on him, but it just never happened. It never, really, never I transpired, mean, huh? He's a He's, he's playing a, a security guard who's a religious fanatic at the same time. Yep. And, you know, what's good about this film, or what's, what's significant about it, and it's not, again, this is not a really well-known film even among horror fans, is it kind of predates uh, the, the Pete Walker, David McGilvray uh, religious fanaticism, you know, put into horror. Right. You know, the, the sexual deviances. And religious fanaticism, right? Like in later films, like The House of Mortal Sin, and even that kind of thing. So this kind, this predates this by a few years. Yeah, it so does. The yeah, script it was does. by my uh, Brian uh, Brian Compoy. Okay. And I actually think this is Robert Hoffa Davis' best direction. Really? Yeah. As a, as a whole, I think it's the best film he ever directed. Oh, interesting. And yeah, I think it's really underrated. But again, like he said, you got to see it uncut. To no. judge it properly. Yeah, yeah. To, get, to get the full impact of yeah. the film. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now here's Land of the Minotaur. Now this is a, a film made in Greece. I think it's got, it's mostly Greek production. It has some, you know, it's credited as a, as a UK Greece co-production. But it's got some English actors. Uh, Peter Cushing's in it. He Supposedly after the famous Monsters Convention in 1975, which he appeared in, in New York City, he flew to Greece to make this movie. It's a real mess. It's kind of, uh, again, I mean, you see, it's got like this. I think I read somewhere it's like a Teddy Ruxpin type, you know, thing that. <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> no, I, it is. Don't ask me to pronounce the director's name. It's a, it's a Greek. Oh, Greek yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah. But, you know, he just had no handle on the material. and. Uh, no, it just goes nowhere. It's a film that goes and, nowhere. There's a lot of you know, nothing going Donald on. Pleasance. But you've got Donald Pleasant. You've got that's, Peter Cushing. It's a you got Luann Peters. That's two more oh, good God, reasons yeah, to see this film. Sure but other than reasons. that, it's it's a mess. Jeez. And, uh, and, uh, it was, Horror in that shirt does more for me well, than even if the shirt was off. 
I know that sounds strange, but what I'm trying to say is yeah, sometimes I, I know. When, when a woman wears something right, that so makes we, we, it we already sold So you guys are seeing this trailer and you're seeing that and you're saying, oh, it's got to be good. But no, it's not. Again, you're well, seeing the best part. Well, Crown International <laughs> released this film. Crown International released this film here. And... um. It was it was definitely it was cut to get a PG rating. So definitely, if you try if you get a hold of this film, definitely look for the uncut British version, which is known as The Devil's Men. Yeah, because this was put out yeah. by Interglobal Video. Yeah, and that's it was put the, out as a sell-through video. That's I mean, the Crown any, International. Any, you cut, go into yeah. CVS uh, and you could buy these at like yeah. a, um, Genovese. No, it was CVS. definitely this was an early rental. You know, I was oh, all, yeah. you know Cushing and Pleasance. It was like I went right to this, and you know, it was always like what like a what. A WTF kind of film. Yeah, I know. But I'm still I'm a sucker for Peter Cushing wearing a red demonic robe on an altar with the. Yeah, I mean, how could you go wrong? The with imagery, this minotaur that blows uh, fire out of its. The imagery's you know, there. It's about the size of a Shih Tzu. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's got imagery. It's it's got imagery, yeah. but it's just not. It's as a whole, it's not. It's not a cohesive it's film. Directed, it's not, it doesn't go anywhere. Since the director couldn't direct traffic, that's yeah. the problem. You know, that's probably the problem. It's probably just basically using the wrong man. Also, probably wasn't the best written film either. So no. Problems on both ends, writing and directing. Not at all. Yeah. All right, Lost Continent. Again, we were talking about Tony Beckley, who was in Beware of the Brethren. He's, there he is on the right. He's got a small part in this. I, this is a film I saw really early as a kid. I was really into Hammer, even as a kid. Yeah. I didn't know this was a Hammer film, because I always associated that with... You know, the gothic Dracula and Frankenstein. Of course. I didn't know until years later this was a hammer film no. I saw on TV. Correct. I agree. I, I thought this was just wacko. I thought I it was, was crazy. A lot of people say, oh, it's, it's talky. I think that I always thought that the characters, I, it's often referred to as Love Boat on Acid because all these misfits are together on this yes. on this ship and they become uh, shipwrecked and, yep. you know, and they're all, they're all misfits and I, I, I just think it works. And then, like, all of a sudden it, it turns from... This this crazy drama into you know a thing with these monsters and stuff. With monsters. It was and, a and very it, expensive film. This, and it's got very sadistic moments too. Yes, especially yeah, with the um, uh, in fact, with that lost tribe. The they're feeding people to the uh, yeah. to the plant creature on the bottom of the uh, 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 on the bottom of the boat. Right, it's like right, a right. trap. You have Hildegard Neff in this. Hildegard Neff. Was a, a German actress who had acted with Eric von Stroheim yes. in a film called The Unnatural, yep. uh, which was uh, which is really really a very very good film if you get a chance to see it. And that scene uh, of blood with the uh, the guy getting you know on the line getting there with his face all gashed up or his head gashed up that was cut. Yes, this was cut to get a G rating and. Um, years later, Anchor Bay put out on video, oh, on video DVD, and, la and they restored it. And so this was this was like cut by minutes. By minutes. And a lot of the violence, and oh, there's yeah, no well, sex in it, but there's like sexual innu innuendo, like there's you know, torture. Is this what is the Spanish Inquisition basically? Yeah. Right? This was cut to get this was cut to get a G rating. Yeah, and it's basically yeah. like a uh, this this lost group of Spanish it's, inquisitors. It's based uh, on Dennis Wheatley novel, right? Hammer Films adapted three of his novels. This one. Supposedly, he saw it, he, you know, he didn't understand what the, you know. What they were getting at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, yeah. you know, besides, I, I, I don't, you know. I think very seldom are the I don't look authors at this, ever satisfied. Right. I don't look at this as some kind of definitive Dennis Wheatley novel. I no, just no, think no. It's, all, it's just an enjoyable yeah. film. You want the novel, you go to the novel. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to expect it's going to translate well to film, not to please him, 
but it's an it's 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 a pleasing film for people like us who enjoy movies like this. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really adds. Well, its I, I'm probably one of the few Hammer fans that really really. Like, oh, I like this. this oh, I yeah. really do like this film. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, this is, uh, again, Richard Gordon, yep. who we spoke to. He was the executive producer of, of this Island of Terror, and this is on a double feature with the projector man. Now we've completed going over Dr. Phillips' notes. Gordon mentioned to us, and I think he's brought it up in inter other interviews, about um, how he was particularly concerned with the, in the scene where they cut off who, 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 uh, uh, it's Peter Cushing's character. He right. gets his hand. Yes. Because it's right, yeah. right. Because the creature grabs it, yeah. and, and they and, used an and axe. Edward Judd. And Edward Judd has the axe. And he... That was cut from, I believe, the British Prince. Really? Uh, at one time, and of course, it was on television. Well, I've seen it on TV as a kid, where they showed it, and then another station had it in. Yes. But when Channel Seven showed it back in the in the you know the seventies and eighties. That scene was always missing. It was always but, missing, but another station had it in because I recall seeing it. And yeah. I believe somebody released it in, Europe, in either England or Europe at one time, and that scene was missing. Now, now Gordon also said these are like this and the next film on this trailer that it's a double feature with the Projected Man were the only two films that he was involved with in, in a large capacity that he didn't uh, wasn't able to retain the rights to because these were released by Universal. And, and at least in the United States, they still own them. So they, they both of them got, got a very shoddy uh, deal as far as home video releases. Island of Terror was only released on VHS. Yes, I recall. I have um, the VHS yeah. for that. And the Projected Man never came out. Never yet. came out. Never came Another, out. I saw it on yeah, TV. Me too. I did see it on TV, but I never, I, it never came out here on video. As you can see, no. it's a scope film. Yep. So seeing it on TV, it was like, you know... Now this is Bryant Halliday, who was... All his, he only, I, as far as I know, he only did four films, all genre films, and all for Richard Gordon. Right. He's in Curse of the Voodoo, this, um, um, Tower, Devil Doll? Yeah, Devil Doll and, and Tower of Evil, aka Horror, on Snape right. Island. Right. And, and he then, wasn't British, he was Canadian. Which is hard to believe, because right. he comes off as very British. He does, but he was Canadian, and he also was one of the founding members of the Brattle Theatre. And Janice which Jones, is it, which right? Is it, yeah, which, it, uh, uh, which is in... Um, Massachusetts, which is in Boston, right? And uh, it, it's really, it's re it's really fascinating when you do the research on him, um, and especially his association with Richard Gordon and just being in those those four films for Gordon, yeah. And not bad at all in those films. And there's a big difference because he did he did a cluster of these. Yeah. He does a cluster of these, and then uh, Tower of Evil is what seventy one. Yeah. So that, that, that there's a jump because he's doing yeah, all these films. Yeah, it's about films. a four or five year right, jump. Right, right, yeah, because yeah, he's doing all these films in 63, 64, 65. So then there, then you have that big jump, and then yeah. there he is in Tower of Evil. Which, by the way, Tower of Evil got a lot of play on TV as yeah, well. I'm that's, I'm like, that's another favorite. We had favorite. We had we had that trailer. Um, you know, it just, it just decided to leave be left off this compilation because it's kind of repetitious. It's yes. been available. Try to keep this. I mean, some of these trailers, and by the way, anybody who's listening to this, these trailers are all transferred directly from 35mm from my collection, from Harry Guerrero's collection. So this is, you know, we're not transferring from other sources. These oh, are, no, yeah. no, no. This is, this is all yeah. direct. It's all direct. 
But we tried to keep the trailers, you know, as, you know, not the most common ones. Some you might be able to find elsewhere. Most of them, the first time they'll be on Blu-ray, I'm pretty sure. But what you also yeah. did, George, was you themed them, which was good. Yeah. This is a good way if you put them in an appropriate order. This yeah. Is, and this is the way they should be well, seen. Well, yeah, Harry had a lot to do with that, too. We, we tried to put out, you know. Oh, yeah. Now, this, the Shuttered Room, this is based on H.P. Lovecraft. This is an interesting film because uh, it's a British film set in New England. There's Flora Ro Robeson, who we just saw in The Beast in the Cellar. It's, an, it's, a, it's a British film set in New England, so all the English actors, including Oliver Reed, are doing American accents. Now, the, the two leads, Carol Lindley and Gig Young, of course, are Americans. But this is one I saw... Again, early on as a kid on the 430 movie. 430 movie. It was a popular on title 7. on the 430 movie. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, during absolutely. That on Channel 7 and the 430 movie. Uh, well, that was the place to go for horror movies. Yeah. George, if you recall, you might want to expound on this a little bit, but they themed yes. their weeks. There was Vincent Price week. Yep. Edgar Allan Poe week. There was Godzilla week. Gamera week. Um, you know, again, Planet people, of the Apes week, and we we say even this non, for the, even like Elvis and beach yes, party things. Yes, and yeah. we say this for the benefit of people who did not experience or have not experienced younger people who have not experienced regional TV and didn't realize the importance of regional TV. What we're trying to show you is that we had access to these films. It, you know, it isn't just something new where now they're coming out on Blu-ray or DVD. Did you, there was always some way of having access to these films, predominantly television, being the biggest thing, later cable, and then later after that, video. So that's what we're trying to get across to you folks, how we came across these films for the first time. And this was a 4.30 movie favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Definitely. I remember getting the TV guide on Sunday and just combing it for, yes. let's say, let's call them psychotronic movies, you know, right. anything like this. Oh, yeah. That's you what know. you did. You couldn't wait to And get you didn't the TV know guide. until that Sunday what was going to be on. Right. You, you know? didn't know. You had no clue. But, all right, this is another amicus... This is an anthology, speaking of anthologies again. This is Torture Garden, which is the second Amicus anthology. Uh, this, is, this is based on stories by Robert Block and directed by Freddie Francis. Um, again, this, this is, has a lot of American stars in it. So even, you know, I guess they were trying to... Uh, do that for the American yeah, yeah, for the for the international Jack release. Jack Palance for, is right. in it. Uh, Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. Um, Robert Hutton. Right. Wasn't, wasn't a really big name at this at this time. Right. Um, but it, it, this is one that the Edgar Allan Poe sequence. The man who collected Poe definitely stands out. In this That's anthology. the bet. The best yeah. story in the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just a matter of these anthologies, like certain stories not holding up. Yeah. But that is the be That is definitely the best story. Well, this. I mean, and I. And again, I'm. I'm a big fan of the Amicus anthologies, but I have to say that the worst story is the uh, possessed piano one. Out of all the out of all the Amicus anthologies, I, I think the worst one is the one in here, which is that. Pian the possessed piano. Yes. With, yes. Uh, I, standing. I agree. I agree. Definitely. I just. I guess it's a, it's a short story that does not translate well to film. No. And uh, again, Peter Cushing was able. I mean, they could get actors like Peter Cushing, and all these all these are good actors. And it was economical for Amicus to hire actors like this because 
they would only have to hire them, they would only have to work for brief periods of time since the, sh the stories were short. That's why they had such great casts. Uh, Christopher Lee was kind of an exception. I believe he was pretty expensive for them because he became a, a big star early on. Early on. So they didn't use him as much right. as Cushing because like, Cushing could, they could get a lot cheaper. Yep. Uh, Lee only did, uh, he did a few Amicus films, but only two of the anthologies. Right. Whereas Cushing was in all but one. Right. Right. This played on a double feature in America with Berserk, the, uh, the Joan Crawford. They also yeah. gave out seeds. Yes. To start your gimmick. own torture garden. Yeah. yeah, they gave out seeds. Now, In the Devil's Garden this is, is uh, another British... It's a thriller directed by Sidney Hayers. It's from the early 70s, but by the time it was released here by Hemisphere Pictures, they... It was a few years after um, it came out in England. I think it was released in 71, but they released it here after The Exorcist was popular. So they tried to, to harp on the success of The Exorcist. There's no scenes of the film in this trailer. No. There's nothing graphic. It's very... But the music. Yeah. Now let's talk about the music. That's, that's a theme by Alan Parker. It was called Hippie. And it was music used for the NFL films. Right. Okay? And the interesting, and by the way, I want to give special thanks to uh, both uh, um, Michelle Alexander and John Harrison for having unearthed that. We had people coming, I've had people coming to me for years asking me what that theme is. We went as far as to use it on a promo thing that ultimately became Blitzkrieg many years later. We used that very same theme. And it's, it, you also hear that music on the trailer for um, Torso. Torso, yeah, yep. and a couple of other films. Yep, absolutely. You bet. Yep. This is one of the world's many now, this is The Devil's Nightmare. The reason why it's with uh, In the Devil's Garden because they played as a double feature. Again, this was released here by Hemisphere Pictures. And both of these films they promoted as... Um, well, they advertised them. You could tell they were trying to harp on the... the they were harping the on the exorcist, yeah. George. They almost tried to pass them off like they were films of possession. Yeah. I think which, that's the reason why you don't see any clips from In the Devil's Garden. Yeah, because even it's by a, the time it's a it murder played, drama. And it, yeah, and it was, it's a murder drama. Yeah, and and it also had played on TV. But I think that for promoting it for the theatrical, it had nothing to do with the devil or possession. This certainly had imagery that was more satanic. You could get away with showing more of this in a trailer. But yeah, the, my memory is looking through the newspaper, that would have been Newsday at the time, and them having ads for these films, sometimes as double, triple features, yes. and always emphasizing the devil head. That was what was in the ad, the satanic head, was the image used in the, in the ads for these movies that were played. And this is Belgian, right? Yes, it is, Belgian film. Erica Blank. Erica Blank, Emile Daniel Fork. Erica um, Blank, who does uh, kind of like a Barbara Steele performance. Oh, here. she's phenomenal. Going from good to evil. Oh, some, yeah. With some, you know, not heavy makeup. But she's she's really good in this. It's a good transition. It's disturbing. Yeah. The makeup they have on her is actually disturbing. It really is. Of course, really, really the U.S. Is. release was cut, and it was, of course, cut even more when it was shown on TV. That's Shirley Corrigan, who was in a lot of Spanish uh, movies. Now, the, the, In the Devil's Garden was sold to TV as uh, Tower of Terror. Yes. And that play, it was basically playing on Channel 9. I think it might have been still playing in the theaters. And then they, they George, you don't think it. that's guaranteed. I, yeah. I remember it was playing on TV while it was being promoted in the Devil's Garden in the yeah. movie theaters. Distinct. That's that the way things worked back then. Yeah, that's like, the way it you know, was back then. Yep. And we're not talking about 
you know major networks. We're talking about local TV stations. Local TV yeah. stations, absolutely. Daniel Emma Fork, yep. very handsome man. Oh yeah, uh, the, this guy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That'll give you. They knew. Answer, right? You talk yeah. about central casting. Yeah, that's. You don't you need talk no, about you a play the devil. Actor. You don't need makeup. No, yeah. you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. That's what makes that so phenomenal. He's disturbing. Again, the guys. Yeah. Dis- these are disturbing images. They really, really are. Regal Video had put this out in this uh, country. Yeah, initially. a couple of companies. The Devil yeah. Walks at Midnight right. was the title. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the, uh, what the deal was with the print. I know a much better print had been put out years later um, on video. And I'm trying to remember who did it. Now, that has a 1972 copyright. So that was from the first release. But then they did release it a few years later. You know, with the Exorcist ripoff campaign. Right. Um, this is... This is a black and white trailer for what is considered to be the first um, British uh, British modern vampire movie. Right. It's a color film, but right. it's a black and white trailer. And it's, it's not a bad little film. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this played on a double bill with Curse of the Fly. Yes, it did. Yeah, Curse of the and Fly was really, and Devils of Darkness. Yes, by 20th Century yes, Fox. Yes, 20th Century yeah. Fox. Exactly, yes. Yes. Now here we go. Oh, this is now here. This is a film. Uh, Keith has a 16 millimeter <laughs> uncut theatrical 60 millimeter print of it, and we just, uh, you know, it's self-explanatory. Right. This is something we that he has screened uh, for, you know, parties, and it. This is always a big hit. It, countless times. Yeah. And it, we and we actually we try to pull it end. out every every year or I so. I think it's got to be pulled out soon. It, yeah. it, uh, yes, we're due <laughs> for this, George. Now that you're saying it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. I haven't. There's not been a time where I've showed this film to, to people who have not enjoyed it thoroughly, and who have not, and, and it's not George and I necessarily saying it's a good film. It's no. it's not. It's but not. it's Era's work with it. It's one of those films where its errors actually work in its favor. Yeah, and it definitely, uh, it definitely demonstrates the decline of British horror cinema in the seventies. Oh, no doubt about it. But yet, it's still—it's—I I would say probably in some ways unintentionally funny, and that's what makes it work so well. Now, you, again, you talk about the uh, uh, four thirty movie, George, and I—if my memory's correct—that's where I first saw the Gorgon. And I remember uh, this again. This was a this I remember seeing on TV. And the same thing, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Now that that on a completely different station. That on a completely different showing. But these were TV. I, I became aware of these two films through TV, and also, of course, just knowing about them from reading famous monsters, yeah. from reading the books on horror films, and uh, you know, being in tremendous anticipation of them being shown on television, and finally getting a chance to uh, view them. Yeah, I mean, if you had famous monsters and monster books, which we did as a kid, you you found out about these films before you even saw them. Before you even saw them, and that was what made you want to see them. Yeah, that was what made it so fantastic. Yeah, so when something came on and you saw a picture in a book, and you know you had to see it. Now this is a this is a Columbia double feature of two Hammer films. Columbia actually released more Hammer films in the U.S. than any other studio. They have. They released a ton of them. Not not just horror films, but uh, the pirate movies and psychological thrillers. Uh, and I, I particularly like this film because it's good to see Christopher Lee as, as the good guy. I think he did that very well, which he didn't oh, have an opportunity I think it was to. great casting yeah. because generally he had been a villain, and we know he's a remarkable villain. 
And it was really nice to kind of turn the tables with this particular film and, uh, and put Cushing in the questionable role of him kind of, in a way he's kind of uh, protecting Barbara Shelley. He has an idea that she might be the Gorgon. He has an idea about it, but his personal interest in it in her is keeping him sort of protecting her. So it was really very nice to switch those roles up. I think it was good for once to see, see Christopher Lee in a good guy role and show that he could do it and show how engaging he was, how much he could engage you as a good guy, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, this, 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 film, this film has atmosphere. This film works. It really does. Yeah, again... Uh, uh, it, it, it's not one of, per se, their masterpieces. No, it's, no. it's an awkward... It, it's a difficult well, subject. The it's effects a difficult, at the end don't help. You know. Right, that didn't help. Absolutely. But it's a nice-looking nice production. It movie. is. One of, it the, is. one of the later Bray Studios. Now, Cur uh, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb here is... This is the second of Hammer's four mummy films. This is often considered the worst... Um, Michael Carreras directed it. He's not really considered a great director no, by any means. But no. uh, again, I don't. You know, I still. I know. I enjoy it's, it. It's it's not it's not. You know what it is. It has a tendency to drag. If it, yeah. there's, if there's any problem with this film, it's that it has a tendency to drag. As as a whole, it's not a bad film. It's watchable. Yeah. It's just it, it it doesn't move with the same type of pacing that you would get from say Terrence Fisher. Yeah. No. You know who was who was definitely a, a a veteran, a more experienced uh, director. And I think the the fault probably really falls in the hands of the director with this particular production. Definitely. Now, I have a story about this going back to grade school. Okay. When I was in grade school, you know, whenever you had to do a lecture or a presentation on, on a topic and you got to choose a topic, I would always choose something like horror movies. Right. And I remember one time, I don't remember, maybe I was in the fourth grade, I had to do a presentation on horror films and as part of the presentation, a lecture with, I guess I had pictures and things, I was able to show a Super 8 to the class, and uh, the one I chose, why I don't know, it was the 10 minute digest, Columbia Pictures digest of, of this film, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, and um, it, it was a silent, I think it was a color, but it was silent, so okay. it was like, you know, and I remember after that for a while, on Fridays, the teacher let me show a film to the class after recess. And for some reason, it didn't last long, but... Oh, but that's yeah. phenomenal. I yeah. think that's a and great... I think it's a great thing. I also think it's a great thing that you had a chance to bring in what you were into and share it. I tried doing that, too. I, it didn't meet with much success. I, I, I tended to get myself ostracized for being very obsessive over horror films, and I think a lot of people thought I was a bad influence. So I tended to catch heat for sometimes uh, bringing my interest in class. Like I said, it depended on the school and the teacher. And you know, if the teacher was more, say, progressive, uh, it was you were encouraged, and if they weren't, you sometimes caught heat. So, uh, but that's a very interesting story, George. That yeah. really is, I have to say. That. And it's a good story, too. It's positive. I love hearing a positive yeah. thing, oh. you know? You know, back back then, the the Super Eight. It was another way to see, even though they were short versions of things that you couldn't see. At least we could either buy these short digest films cheaply or rent them from the library, which is what I did. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the way before video. Yeah. If you wanted, you either had a sixteen millimeter or you had Super Eight millimeter, and that was how you got a chance to see 
um, you know, uh, pieces of these films that, you know, you didn't always have the opportunity to see, you know? Right. Now, here's William Castle set in this old dark house. Not really a remake. It's a remake in, in, in name only. In name only. Universal oh, old dark yep. house. Um, he's setting something up, but there's really no gimmick in this film or the way it was um, so, presented. Yeah, yeah, I mean... No. Right, no, it wasn't. It, it, wasn't, one of, it wasn't one of his gimmick films. No. Again, he's using himself to sell the film, to push the film. He's using his own character, his own persona. But you are right, this, is, this didn't come with anything extra. Just This didn't come with any extra value. You're right. Now, this was a film that... This was... There's... Um, Oakley Court, which is famous. Used in Rocky Horror Pictures, so in a lot of Hammer films. Uh, this film was shot in color, but released here in um, black and white. Which is very odd. I don't know. Maybe Columbia didn't want to spend money on color prints. So that's, since that's, the cold feature was black and white, or they figured yeah, William Castle's, you know, big... Basically, everything he was doing was black and white right. before this. I don't know. Right. They either decided to make it uniform, or, or it was also a good way for them to save money. But to not, to not make up yeah. the color prints. And also, this is played... This is really, like, full, more or less full-blown comedy. Uh, definitely. Yeah, this is played... Actually, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a totally successful movie. I think the, the, the Carry On series, their, their take on this kind of spoof of... The Hammer films, Carry On Screaming, is, is a much yep. more successful It's film. much more yeah. successful than, than this. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree with that, George. Definitely. Now, but when this this was, is entertaining, and I did yeah. see it on TV. And it was shown on color on TV. Yeah, yes. And it, and it is entertaining. Yeah. It is entertaining. It's just it's just not, you know, again, not completely successful. Fenella Fielding is also in Carry On Screaming, which she plays like a Morticia... Yep. type vampire character in that. Right. So she's even... And as you could see yeah. in that shot, they were emphasizing two of her best assets. Yes. So, you know, and they say it. I'm not, I'm not just pointing no. that out. They actually no, these say it in the trailer. You know, these the Hammer films are all about the uh, the cleavage, cleavage, the low-cut yep. dresses. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Tom Poston, who's an American star, you know. Again, Hammer, when they didn't, you know, when they didn't have the, 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 the big... The big stars Cushing and Lee, they would, you know, sometimes put American stars... As you'll see in the next film, which is Crow and Matthew. Right, which yeah. is a wise move because it's, like I said, it makes it easier to sell to an American well, And audience. they had Columbia behind yeah, them. So. right, right, exactly, exactly. I guess uh, William Castle, he stopped directing for a while. He concentrated on producing, producing. after this. Because this is still a few more years before Rosemary's Baby. Now here, this is Maniac. This is another one of Hammer's psychological thrillers. Right. The Colonel Matthews. Yep. Um, I remember seeing this actually for the first time. I never caught this on TV. I actually caught this one the Columbia video. Yeah, so did I. Out. I don't that remember this the, being I don't TV. remember this having any TV life, but I do remember seeing it when it came out now, on you video. Go, you say that you, you say that the Columbia video, VHS. It's strange because Columbia had all these Hammer films. And that was one of the few that they put out on VHS back in the day. Yeah. They didn't really, uh, I guess it was almost like a random thing. Random a random choices. decision or they could, you know, again, if, 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 if sales were high in films about psychopaths, 
you know that this yeah. was this was a film with the built-in title. I guess so, that, yeah, that so I, I think that had a yeah. lot to do with it, George. I think it was the title. You know? Yeah. Bearing in mind that the same title was used by uh, William Lustig for his film. Yeah, and I'm sure that. And that I'm is... wondering. Sometimes you're wondering: Is the video release cashing in on uh, the the at then theatrical release of of uh, of Lustig's film? Well, the, the video release must have been uh, after uh, William Lustig's film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, yeah. it was. Um, I, I, if, if my memory's correct, it was like an 1886. Release something, yeah, I and, and think that, so. that's yeah. what I'm thinking. So, but bearing in mind that Lustig's film did so well, and then did so well in video as well, you know, one wonders if they were just kind of like chiming in. Wow, look, it's got the same title. You know, why not? And, you know, you just don't know. You weren't there when they were making the decisions. But, uh, but uh, it's a, by the way, Maniac's an interesting film. Not bad. Okay, and here we are with this, this now. Is the this, last trailer. This made. I saw in the theaters. This, I distinctly remember the commercial for this on television. I remember that the film was playing out in Nassau County. Within a week, it had moved further out on the island. I remember I had to go to the Massapequa Mall to see Zombie. It was no longer here. It was no longer uh, close to where I was living. I was living in Hewlett at the time. So we actually had to go out to the Massapequa Mall to see this. And it was playing in their Plex Theater. And uh, this was an eye-opener. This really, really was. I had seen Dawn of the Dead. Um, so, you know, here we go with this. And, of course, this brought you in on the promise of violence. No one under 17 would be admitted. So, uh, you know, if, if you love Dawn of the Dead, then you'll just eat up zombie. You know, it was, it was played on the concept of how popular Dawn of the Dead was. And this is going to be more of it. You're going to get more of this type of violence. And uh, it, it was an eye-opener. It was a real eye-opener seeing this in the theater. And I want to repeat, I saw this on a, oh, it might have been a Friday night, maybe Saturday night. And I want to tell you that the theater was packed. That this was, I mean, the theater, these, these shows would sell out. I cannot make this clear enough. They would sell out. Sell out. Well, we actually made it. If you listen to this three-hour-plus commentary, we thank you. We hope we shared some insight and memories. And thanks. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye and enjoy the trailers.